Welcome back, one and all, to another episode of Anime Was Not a Mistake. As always, I am one of your hosts, Dan Ryan, raising the questions, maybe the poor things were the listeners that we made along the way. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host... And when I say booga booga, you booga booga. What's booga booga? I don't know, but if I say it, you better fucking figure it out. I'm Jonathan Kwiatkowski. <laughs> bravo, bravo. Yes. Um, um, initial news, R.I.P. Glennis Johns, 100 years on this planet, theater legend. Oh, wow. That I had to teach Daniel Ryan about as the mom from Mary Poppins, the mm-hmm. grandmother from Superstar, and of course, the original Desiree Armfeld from A Little Night Music, which we'll get to later down the line. But of this course. hit me just as hard as Angela Lansbury. I knew her. I experienced her. I loved her. No, obviously. She lived a rich life. A hundred years, and she was going till the very end. Yeah, no, I'm not privy to that uh, circle, but... I think Angela was 99, too. She was very close. And that was Betty White. Um, But she was very close, too, I think, Angela Lansbury. You've you've always given fitting tributes to these Broadway legends Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, sadly, as one generation goes... Hopefully a new... Well, a new Supreme here. Yeah. We'll take the crown. <laughs> of course. Prop is rising. Yeah, but uh, uh, we start early today, of course, on our next Sinister Six experience. Yes. Um, this is our 30th Sinister Six. Which it is. Which is a special uh, day indeed. Um, and, you know, we've got a lot of news to share and a lot of things to do. Dan, why don't you start us off? Well, yeah, uh, and for the record, uh, the reason our news backlog is so large is because this is technically the first regular episode we've done in of quite a bit. Year, yeah. Uh, we had Crimbus, mm-hmm. uh, then your previous week, which a double, was a... Uh, double Sinister Six and um, a good movie podcast. A rather innovative setup that I think worked Counting by halves, well. I like to call it eight and a half to nine. So, uh, very good. Um, but I, I suppose, of all the news to unpack, I will start with... A little anime tidbit. Uh-huh. On your recommendation, yes, yes. I watched Delicious in Dungeon, episode uh, one. I recommended it, but I've never seen it. I just heard oh. good recommendations from it. But go on, yes. Um, I, again, uh, Netflix seems to be doing this one episode a week, mm. uh, like a normal TV series. If this is the pilot, if this is the get-go, <laughs> I am thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, I, I, I take a seat at that table. I love the art style. It is... I know nothing about the manga. Well, it's Studio Trigger, right? It is, yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. Um, but I love how the characters look. I love just the general world of it. It's a very matter-of-factly Dungeons & Dragons world. <laughs> At some point, a wizard emerged <laughs> from a, a chasm and beckoned explorers <laughs> to come down and okay. explore this golden city. Uh, and, you know, and if they could free it from the wizard that had taken it over, uh, then they would be able to you know, reap all of its treasures. Yeah. Uh, so this has, you know, inspired generations of, of these Dungeon and Dragons adventurers who all fit the, you know, races and classes that you would find in that tabletop game uh, to go exploring there. Yes. Uh, and the premise for this first episode is that when one of their party members is left behind while facing a deeper level dragon... Uh, our three heroes have to, you know, head back in to rescue them, um, but they have no money. They have no cash, Nothing. and two of their party members also bailed just out of frustration. Mm. So the main thing that the main guy is going to have to do is uh, finally get to live his dream of making food out of what he finds in the dungeon, mm-hmm. because he reasons that... You know, the dungeon must have plants that support the herbivore monsters, and then the herbivore monsters get eaten by the carnivorous monsters. Mm. So there is a whole life cycle down there. There's a whole ecosystem that he can make 
uh, treats out of, uh, and they're actually soon joined by a dwarf, I believe, who is sort of like a master chef when it comes to this stuff. Ah. So a lot of Torico vibes, mm -hmm. which I love, mixed with D&D, &D, which I also love. It's these so. cooking animes that really get me for no reason. Yeah. Like, they're good. And we... Do we just love food, Dad? We do. <laughs> we, we definitely do. And we're I'm on a diet this year. New year, new me. We're peaking with food animation. Mm -hmm. Even the disgusting crap in Made in Abyss... You would looked, sop down, would you? tempting, so yeah. yeah. The straight from the, the gizzard gullet or whatever, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm gonna become Dan Ryan and start with another anime-adjacent thing. Mm -hmm. All four episodes of Pokemon Concierge. Mm-hmm which I viewed over um, Netflix over the Christmas break. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, it's very comfy, very cozy, but only four episodes. I wanted more. Of course. I actually did not watch it yet. Wow. I apologize. Yeah. I think um, you're going to thoroughly enjoy it. I think that some Rankin-Bass puppets were stolen from the studio from Topcraft or whatever. Yeah. There's a very suspicious lady who looks a lot like the plump... <laughs> Mrs. Claus puppet mm -hmm. or Tanta Kringle Tanta Kringle, yeah as we like to refer to her but it's very comfy it's giving a lot of uh, shout outs to Pokemon that don't get a lot of spotlight mm -hmm. including Psyduck um, the, the ugly monkeys <laughs> that... <laughs> Yeah, who, who, who are, only Dan loves. Yeah. I love those monkeys, yeah. but remember, they are about to be locked in the Gen 5 and Great. 6 games yeah, unless course. you do something about it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, in the next couple months. Never cared for them, so it's if, fine. If and, you do love those monkeys, yeah. send them over. So. Yeah. There's a Pidgeot, there's a Dragonite for me. Mm -hmm. But it's only four episodes, but a lot of craft and care has gone into this. It's Obviously, very yeah. well animated. I wish everything was longer. I just wish we had more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But some wishes are not to be touched, Dad. No, so, who knows? Well, Maybe yeah. it could be the start of something, you know, something new. Else, yeah. It feels so right to be here with you. Mm -hmm. High School Musical. Yeah. yeah. Iron Claw adjacent. Yeah. I do need to see Iron Claw. I do too. Yeah, yeah. people need to go. I, I hear it's a tearjerker, Dan. It's disguised as a, a fun family. Oh, no, it's, it's disguised. I don't know anything people. about wrestling, but I know that family is doomed for no, tragedy. No, I, I do know that story because I do know a little wrestling, mm. and, and that is... I, I believe they even excised certain elements of it to make it less sad. Uh, yeah, because they there got was, rid of one sibling. Yeah, heard, yeah, who also passed. It yeah. was it was pretty bad. But um, yeah. if only podcasting went that way, then we'd be the only two left. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'd still be here. We we deduced you're going first. Yes. Yeah, by hook or by crook. <laughs> to be the Jacob Marley, I guess. Yes, yeah. Um. But if we're if we can move into movies, uh, I've got one more series. Okay, go for Shall it. I mention it? Uh -huh. um, season five of Fargo's up, and I know I haven't gotten Dan yet, but Dan Ryan, this season of Fargo is given everything, and I binged eight episodes out of the ten. Two episodes left mm -hmm. over the next coming weeks. Um, Fargo has a unique thing where it's nonsensical. Sometimes plot lines carry over, but it's usually. Um, like a season that's in the past and a season that's in the present. Mm -hmm. We are a season in the present now. And it's buttery smooth. It goes down easy. It's just a story of this wife played by... Um, hold on, let me look up her name. Juno Temple, who... You might know from uh, Ted Lasso, which I haven't seen. Oh, you know, but, I, I know but, her from a few things. But, Ted Lasso, yeah. and she was also in The Dark Knight Rises, but oh, okay. lots of other movie right, roles. So, but, yeah. well, of course you know her. She's got a lead role here playing kind of this... A very strong woman character. We've mm -hmm. got my favorite, Jennifer Jason Lee, playing a Republican bitch. Mm -hmm. 
And she is eating all the scenery up. We've got John Hamm as an abusive husband. Okay. It's just a lot is going on in Fargo this season. It goes down the easiest. After last season, kind of required us to think a little bit. I, I like a season that makes us think, but this is just strap in, baby. You're going for a ride for 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. It's got Joe Carey from uh, Stranger Things in another role that they excel in. I just think this is the show for you. I mean, I, I, I turned you on to Mark, Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. Maybe now I'll turn you on to Coen Brothers TV. With of course. Fargo because it's a crime drama. Something different and unique happens every season. Sometimes supernatural, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always got a star-studded cast that's always cycling out. And I just say, go watch Fargo. Of course. Yeah, you don't have far to go. <sighs> it's quite near if you have a Hulu subscription. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, now movies? Yeah, movies. Okay, I'm going to need your assistance goodness go on yeah oh i'm going to need your assistance uh because i believe we've you know courtesy of matt cabrera and such we've seen many movies i've seen three with you um two with you and we've watched a few others in our own time i think uh so i will watch uh, i will start my mistake with two that i watched independently Mm. uh but very close to one another yeah uh exorcist believer oh you're braver than i am dan and pet cemetery bloodlines all i've heard about these is from the podcast that i listened to and they told me both not to see them uh i also say not not to see them yeah unfortunate because we get these stephen king and this exorcist parallel that i love and enjoy that i'm gonna eventually have to suffer through but you did not enjoy them it it was you were not a believer (laughs) of the two of them i think the exorcist believer had more effort put into it it's like comparing crap to mud yeah uh (laughs) pet cemetery bloodline was clearly made to go up on like peacock and it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of effort that's literally one of the stephen king's like best novels it is and a very good initial adaptation of that and it mary zimmerman i believe is the director don't quote me on that i would assume and you would know it adapts the the chapters that cover judd's background um when when he's herman munster himself when he's young and built like Terry from uh, Fatal Fury, we'll, and he's... We'll get to Terry. He's, you know, he's trying to leave the town, start a new life, mm-hmm. but the, the curse that emanates from... The Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Is drawing him back in. And, I, I don't know, it just kind of does that thing where in explaining the origin for something, it kind of like, uh, you know muddles it mm. or or waters it down yeah. a little bit well it's a movie right it's a movie yeah uh, see i initially thought it would be a series and from, it would probably the trailer yeah. it would probably make sense as a series chronicling Benefit like all of the people more. in this yeah. town yeah, who are that's very stephen king ish experimenting with this mm. as it stands it, it's just kind of the 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 titular pet cemetery is mm-hmm. used once in the intro and then a second time I don't know, when the movie's almost over, oh, yeah. and we still don't even get a Wendigo. Well, I would hope he would bury me in the pet cemetery. Well, I would. But I wouldn't bury you. <laughs> Why not? Because it's a curse, Dan, to bring you back. Sometimes <laughs> dead is better. So you get to I come... I hope that's uttered at least once. You get to come back and say all the mean well, things no, that I you... no, I come back as like an evil <laughs> demon, which is like a dream. <laughs> I uh, torment that, you. That demon has access to your memories, and it would it would use It'd your knowledge to, to torment me. Strangle so... me with a pop filter? Yeah, I'd love that. Um, so, I don't know, it just felt kind of undercooked, mm. as as far as prequels go, and The Exorcist Believer was very, very on the nose, mm. and 
this is this is uh, this is a point because again, I I approach that the Exorcist movies differently because I am not religious. Well, you've uh, seen them all. I've seen them I, all. I'm a big fan, even though I'm semi faded Catholic now. Legion yeah. is my favorite of them. I I, I do like Exorcist three. Yeah. Um, but you know, other people online when they've reviewed it have said. You know, that, that original movie especially is very, very tied to Catholicism. Yes. Like, it's the whole thing with the exorcism, like, the process, and and in this movie, it's kind of like, they call in, like, the Avengers of, of yeah. exercising. They've got Ellen Bernstein back, Leslie Autumn Jr.'s there. <laughs> they got Ellen Bernstein back, and, and not only do they have her back, but since the events of Exorcist 1... Mm -hmm. She has been traveling around the world Bruce Wayne style, mm -hmm. studying under monks and uh, kung fu masters and... Listen, Ellen Bernstein didn't write it. I, I know, I know. I'm not blaming the her. actress, you know, for using her paycheck to pay to charity. I'm just, yeah. I was trying to picture the mom from I Exorcist. I know, You know, wandering Chris around... Chris O'Neill is her name. You know, <laughs> Chris O'Neill wandering through the mountains of, of the... An you know, Irish woman. <laughs> you know, learning under, you know, airbenders and such. Yeah. And and it was just like, that was one thing. But then they call in all of these other faiths. Mm -hmm. And the, the like, the, the Catholicism element is kind of like, it's not even going to be yeah. there at first. I heard. Yeah. And then they also have like a, like a, I guess like a, I, I don't know what, what what would you call them more like a like a fire and brimstone type preacher there yeah like a Pentecostal Pentecostal maybe, guy yeah. and then another dude who is a friend of the main character who is also some kind of Pentecostal but not the same he, mm -hmm. he he's friends with ladies who walk around in white robes I don't know what their Could deal be was yeah I I do that constantly at night so Could um. Be me. And it just, it once again does the thing where it just shows way too much. There's like, there's a part, not to spoil too much, it's where fine. the... It's fine, I'll uh, see it eventually when we do our exorcist The The month. group exorcism is happening, and one of the, the, the gals, as they're being exorcised, expels, like, very badly done, like, green... Yeah, vomit. Smoke? Yeah. No, oh, no, 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 oh, not vomit. They do smoke. vomit, but oh. they they it like they expel like demon gas, <laughs> and it, it goes up to well, the don't light. Don't you do that every week? You're here, and all of the people, like all of the actors in the room, playing it dead serious, like <gasps> that that cloud of gas. What yeah. do we do? I and heard then you talking about me. I'm on the the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory podcast, Dan. Don't worry. And then <laughs> they. You know, and then one of them does, like, a little spell where they throw something into the fireplace that sucks the demon gas in. Yeah. And that into problem is seemingly yeah. solved. Yeah, yeah the, the fart dimension. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, I... I you weren't I, buying it, Gia? And it starts with, <laughs> with what I would think is is a very decent premise for an exorcist movie. Yeah, we movie. got these two schoolgirls yeah. that are there. They you know, disappear. Best, we're two best friends, two good friends. Two good friends. <laughs> yeah. They they disappear into the, into the woods yeah. and... To them, they were only gone like an hour, but to mm. everyone else, they were gone for like three days. I'm like, okay, that's that's a cool mystery. And there's also this whole thing in the background where the main dad, you know, we don't get the context Leslie of it until Autumn later. Jr. Leslie Autumn Jr. Yeah. is, uh, you know, he's presented with this choice at the beginning to either save his Hamilton wife or fame. save that's the Aaron baby. Aaron Burr, sir. Okay, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, like, the groundwork is laid for something very interesting, but then it just turns into like 
a bunch of people yelling in a room, yeah. and there's no... But that's a typical... I, I know, but I, it I, was just... I was expecting something a little yeah. more... Weighty. Yeah. I, I feel the same when it comes especially to the Exorcist movies, because Exorcist 3, as we mentioned, constantly on this podcast, it will come someday. Yeah. Uh, someday, maybe in October, around our creepy month, but uh, it does a good job of doing like the Exorcism and showing us the weight of that. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce Dern and all. <laughs> yeah, it, it can be done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't really... I wasn't really crazy about... Yeah. Either of them, so, yeah. Mm. So it's a meh from you. Mm-hmm. All right, so speaking of a meh from you, mm-hmm. how about a meh from me? Okay, yeah. That's going to be a controversial meh. Too. Go for it. I watched Bradley Cooper in Maestro, mm-hmm. uh, telling the tale of Leonard Bernstein, one of our greatest American composers, and I liked it, but I didn't love it, Ben. Mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper is doing his darndest to win that Academy Award this year, I assure you. Mm-hmm. He's trained for 18 months at a, a fucking composer's, fucking conductor's, um, seminar, whatever. He knows how to conduct, Dan. Mm-hmm. But he is trying so damn hard. And I can feel it in his bones. I mean, I would taste a Bradley Cooper cheesesteak <laughs> during the pandemic. Yeah. But this movie, unfortunately, is carried by none other than my sole birthday sister, Carrie Mulligan. As it, yeah, it looked that way in the trailers. Yeah. She really does carry the film. And I don't learn a lot about Leonard Bernstein. Listen, I knew a, a bit about Leonard Bernstein, mm-hmm. composing some of the greatest musicals of our time, uh, Candide and West Side Story, which are just only in the initial part, which I found the most interesting. We get a black and white, like, younger version of Bernstein, mm-hmm. where he's fucking everything that moves, where he's composing on the town and having, like, a, a stage musical moment with a... Carrie Bernstein, uh, not Carrie Bernstein, uh, Carrie, Carrie Mulligan, Mulligan Mulligan on stage, which is very cool. But then it gets super depressing Mm -hmm. and we just don't learn anything about him. Like, we don't know why he cares about this aside from his accent where he's like, oh, you've really made a poor decision in marrying me. (laughs) No, I could see that. As someone who is, uh, I don't know, this is controversial, not the biggest Bradley Cooper fan. Oddly. um, I mean, I love him. Rocket Raccoon. Eh, Jackson eh, Maine. Eh. <laughs> what could you not love? I, about I don't know. Him? I I just from from a distance. When I, we do our stars born back to back to back to back. Yeah, you can take me through understand. the multiple iterations yeah, yeah. of it. I have to do all four stars borns for you. But like I don't know. It, like this this Bernstein movie seemed like again. Uh, you know, and I'm just being sarcastic. Like I'm yeah. I'm just joking. No, it's I'm, fine. I'm yeah, using I like I said. I, I liked it initially, but then I was like, ooh. From like a like a distant point, he's angrily going for that Oscar. He this wants, is he, he. I've never seen anything. Anyone wants something more, Dan? I, I could see him throwing an old lady in front of a train just to get the, that the chance at the best that Oscar. Oscar, yeah. If he's presented with the save that old lady or go for that Oscar, he's going for that and Oscar. Listen, and I, he does a great job. Okay, yeah, like, he's I, acting, but there's like. There's something in it that I'm like, you're trying a little bit too hard, baby. Mm-hmm. Just maybe knock it back a bit. Yeah. Let us learn about Bernstein. Because when he's in the end of the film, and he's like going through this breakup with Carrie Mulligan, he's dealing with a shit. He has like a 16 minute number where he's conducting Bernstein's mass in like a church. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that he's watched every video source on this because he's putting his entire Bradley Cooper Uzi mm-hmm. into it. And it hits... But at the same time, it's just like, oh, man, like, to me, for me, it was a bit of a downer. And I love downer movies. Yeah. I love a depressing film. 
We were dazzled by Lydia Tarr, so... Yeah. I, I learned more about Lydia Tarr mm-hmm. than Bradley Cooper as Bernstein in this. Yeah. I thought there was going to be a crossover. That would have cemented the Oscar for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I can feel he's going to be nominated. It feels like a nomination piece. Um, apparently, like, Spielberg and such have produced this. They passed on, like, the bill of making a Bernstein movie of their own uh, through, like, the annals that I've heard through my podcast. Mm-hmm. And then Bradley Cooper was eventually like, no, I'll do it. And right. he did it. And it was it was fine. It was a good movie. But something was a little try-hard for me. And I hate to say that. Okay, understandable. Yeah. 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 So watch Maestro on Netflix. <laughs> um, well, also on Netflix, I watched Leave the World Behind. Oh, yeah. Describe. I haven't seen it. I know the basic premise. Well, it's... Uh... Oh, my God. Did I forget her name? Mm, interesting. Pretty Woman. Julia Roberts. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> her and Ethan Hawke are like this couple in the city. They come upon a poor Spanish lady. No, they <laughs> they uh, they you know they have two kids and they want a, a break from the city for a little bit, so they go and take a vacation uh, via something like Airbnb to stay at this really nice like mansion way out in you know uh, the forests of like yeah, Long a weekend Island. Weekend in the country. Yes. And uh, while they're there, in the background, strange shit is going on. Like, an oil tanker runs aground, mm-hmm. the Wi-Fi, start, like, stops working, the, the cable TV stops working, um, and it's presumed to be, like, a blackout in some city center, and, you know, time keeps passing. And eventually, uh, as played by Mahershala Ali, uh, the actual homeowner and his daughter return to their house, mm-hmm. the, you know, they were the ones renting it out, yeah. and... You know, for part of it, it's some of this tension where it's like, okay, is this man and his daughter, like, who they say they like are? Like, two families confronting themselves in a, yeah. a home. Okay. And there's, like, like elements that. of, like, racism and, and yeah, prejudice yeah. and, like, like not trusting very, people. Very, theatrical play, yeah. And then it becomes, like, apparent that something very, very wrong is going on with the world. Like, some sort of, it could be a cyber attack, it could be something else, is mm-hmm. kind of plaguing Humanity. the rest of the world. Yeah. 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 As far as we know... The rest of humanity. My but boss we don't saw know. this and said he enjoyed it and said I should watch it, but I didn't uh, it, take that suggestion. It to me, it plays like what I would consider a top tier Twilight oh, Zone episode. All right, good. It, like it, and, and I say like a Twilight Zone episode because it very much ends on like a a cliffhanger. On you, a, don't, you don't yeah. know an unknown. You don't know. Yeah, you you yeah. really don't know how like this that. is going to work out. Yeah, like and movie. these people are ultimately going to be left with like human nature. It's like a funny note that it mm-hmm. ends on, but it's very much like okay. Is it a comedy though? No, it's not. Oh, because a lot of the scenes I've seen on like the TikTok and such seem very comedic. Well, there's like a clash of like yuppie stuff yeah. and then like weird. I know stuff Ethan Hawke is in a car talking to a Hispanic woman. Being yeah, like, I don't understand you, and I listen to her translating lines, and she's like, "Please help me." Well, and like, Ethan Ethan Hawke plays. Like a uh, like a bumbling dad from who Black is, Phone and Black Phone Two coming soon. He's uh, oh, I watched that on the podcast in heartbeat. He's like very positive and trusting of everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then over the course of the movie, that kind of gets like shattered because also, of what's going on. Also, his daughter, Maya Hawk, in Bernstein as Bernstein's main daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah, just a just yeah. a little tidbit. Well, she's doing lot lots oh, of stuff. Stranger I think. Things, baby. Mm. She's got that Stranger Things coin. Um, but yeah, so I recommend checking that out. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, the next thing I have is something that we saw together. Yes. Um, yes, you know I'm a big fan of the novel and a big fan of the original movie. We saw The Color Purple, the musical. In we theaters. did. And Dan Ryan, I have to ask, what are your initial thoughts on this film? I very much enjoyed it. I'm glad. Uh, Dan I, Ryan hasn't experienced anything color purple before. I have not. He's not seen the color purple. I have not. Even though he wore it that once in Lamy's class and she said, oh, Dan Ryan wearing the color purple? And I was like, yeah. Well, I wear that every day. And then he went, hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a defining moment I for remember. our, uh, yeah, the North our relationship. Forgets, yeah. Um, but, yeah, knowing absolutely nothing. Yeah. It was and a going fun in... little musical romp, right? Yes. Okay. A Even... very, very good musical romp, yeah. They cut most of the musical songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, the behind-the-stage shit on that musical was very bad, especially for Taraji P. Henson. For the movie? Yeah. Okay. Because the Oprah production and Steven Spielberg production, like, it just came out today, like, they had to drive themselves to the set. Yes, I is, saw that, Which yeah. is a lot. That's, um, that's an insurance and, no-no. Yeah, and that's just very, no. I, I mean, I stand Taraji P. Henson. I love her. She does phenomenal work in this film. Um, of course, you're coming from Oprah, who did the original. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, uh, not Miss Seeley. Oh my god, why can't I remember her name? Anyway, she was the Daniel Brooks role mm-hmm. in this. Um, and Steven Spielberg got a lot of flack for directing this um, originally. Mm-hmm. Um, from, oh my god, I'm, I'm at a blank for names right now. The, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Spike, Spike Lee. Spike Lee was like, oh my god, don't direct this Steven Spielberg, like, because mm-hmm. you're a white man. And yes. Steven Spielberg was like, I'm going to direct it anyway. And mm-hmm. there was a whole big thing with the original, which is a great film. I love the film. I don't love the production of these films. Um, the musical was great, as Fantasia showed us. We got a lot of musical talent from there, from the stage, that was lent itself from the musical. Uh, Danielle Brooks is there, doing her best, um, in a role that she created, or recreated in the revival on Broadway. It's very complicated. Like, the musical goes back a little bit further than what you might think. Yeah. Um, there was some disservice to the original originator of the Seeley role, with, uh, La Chance, Mm -hmm. but... Um, she did make some commentary on Twitter saying, like, you know, listen to the original musical because I designed those lyrics for the production. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even get a phone call for this to audition. Okay. So That's, that sucks. It, it's a little seedy, but the musical is there. It has a lot of heart. It's based on this classic novel. Um, I wish it was gayer as the novel was with a lot of lesbianism there. Yeah, and I could yeah. feel where it was excised, I guess, in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm right, but it no, felt like right. it felt yeah. like in certain parts, they like cut yeah, out that everything been... gay from this, mostly aside from like a peck on the cheek mm-hmm. from Suge and Miss Seely. But it's a good musical, nonetheless. I would advise seeing it. It's a great reproduction of the original Broadway musical mm-hmm. um, and the source material. Just you know, read more. I I took them, and as Dan saw, like Jonathan knew the quotes. You did, and Dan Ryan knew nothing. <laughs> Yeah, he was you, he was looking to his left to his right, but everyone was quoting it, and I was like, "Yeah, Dan Ryan, I grew up with the color purple." No, the strangers to the right of me were singing along, and then yeah. I look over, Jonathan's singing along, and yeah. it was just a, I, it was a very uh, theatrical experience. I yeah. guess yeah. <laughs> it was. I I was not expecting that, but mm-hmm. I enjoyed it for what it was. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it sucks that you know behind the scenes was was bad, but yeah, yeah I knowing nothing, no. I enjoyed it. Good. Yeah. Anything to share individually? Uh, what do you mean? Like, do you have any individual movies that you shared or that you're going to share? 
Well, there was what the, the next one that we saw together. No, I've got I've got one that I saw without you. Uh, Should I mention that? I believe I am out of individual movies. Yes. Okay, so I'll I'll bring one more before the one we saw together. Then. Mm-hmm. Um, the holdovers, Dan. I need to see it. You do need to see it. This was my movie of the year. Okay. It was that powerful. I cried. I was emotional. Paul Gimignani hasn't had a greater role mm-hmm. since playing that one guy in Lady in the Water mm-hmm. to me. <laughs> <laughs> Am I a scruff, Dan? I don't know. It's is, coming soon. Is that the one with Bryce Dallas Howard in a pool? Yeah. Or Okay. Yes. <laughs> Lady in the Water is a classic film in my Jonathan rotation. <laughs> soon to be featured in Argyle. I know a lot about that film. But this is a, a new Christmas classic, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's filmed in the style, according to a lot of the cinema reddits, of Hal Ashby, who directed my favorite film, Harold and Maude. Mm-hmm. It's like in the 70s style, we got like the cinemascope going on, we've got like the voice alterating exactly. on yeah. it. It feels like a 70s film. And it is so good. It's about this, uh, Paul Giamatti is like a professor at this prestigious, prestigious academy. They got this one kid, and it's like, who's going home over Christmas break? Not you people. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep you here. And the plot just evolves into that. I'm not going to spoil it anymore. Mm -hmm. Aside from, I think that um, Divine Joy Randolph, who plays like the cook in this, Mm -hmm. who stays over from the holidays, is a snag for the Supporting Actress nominee this year. She's going to get the Oscar this year for Supporting Actress. So shove all the other films we saw aside. She's doing her most. Apparently, the director sent her two... Two large boxes of cigarettes to smoke Mm -hmm. in preparation of this role. Because she's a singer. She was in Something Rotten. She was playing a musical egg. It's a different story on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Um, She is a singer turned actress. But here she smoked all two boxes of the cigarettes just just to know how to cigarette act Mm -hmm. during this. And it's emotional. It made me cry. It... It was just so... It, it was literally like Harold and Maude or the other Hal Ashby films, which I definitely want to bring to this podcast now because that's like my vibe. Like 70s, it's gritty. We're going on like a little road trip. Mm-hmm. We're having cigarettes. We're talking about our emotional trauma and our parents' like details with each other. It was just great, Dan. Like what? This was a film. It's definitely... It's topping a lot of people's year-end lists. I so. loved it. I sopped it right up, Dan. No, I, I definitely need to see it, because mm-hmm. I like the style that it's going for, so... Yes, yes. Um, but, if you, I may... You may. Uh, the other movie that we saw together in this interim mm-hmm. was Poor Things. Poor Things. And that is my top movie of the year. Yeah, so far. Yeah? You're, you're a Yorgos Lanthimos boy now. I guess if we want to count that as 2023, that is... It, it's 2023. Yeah, yeah. so... Yeah. It, I I was just. Um, Will you read the novel though? I might. Oh. I just might. You just might convince you to read, huh? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I did not expect loving it to to love this movie. I expected like I'll go in. Well, you've seen the favorite. Yes. So that's the only other Yorgos Lanthimos. Have you seen the Lobster? I know what happened. I, I have a, not seen it the yeah. whole way through, though. Okay. So, yeah. All right. So you know of The Lobster, and I recommended Killing of a Sacred Deer by A24. Yeah, which I also yeah. know the gist of, but I need to sit down and okay. watch also. So. Yeah. yeah. A dog Tooth is also very good. But the Poor Things was just like, again, I went in 
and I was expecting like, okay, I'll be I'll be interested in the visuals. I'll be entertained, yeah. The steampunk re and then Jonathan. You like Emma Stone, yeah. John, yeah, no, love Emma Stone. You're a fan and of Emma Stone. Jonathan will fill me in on <laughs> the rest <laughs> on the the intellectual stuff. Yeah. But I just it was it was one of the few movie like I don't know if it was just like the the setup was right, everything was 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 geared for optimal movie yeah. viewing. Uh, it was just like I was sitting there in trance the entire time. I'm glad. Yeah. I love that. I also really enjoyed this film. I think that Dan Ryan proclaimed that Emma deserves a second Oscar for this. I do, yeah. I don't think it's her year for it. Uh, I think it's going to Lily Gladstone. Which I I also yeah, agree yeah. with, but mentally I had forgotten that we had yeah, seen yeah, that yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. So. It was so long ago. <laughs> so um, yeah, I apologize. I, I do think that she's putting out an Oscar award-worthy performance in this film. Yes. Based on her walk cycle alone, which I was taking detailed notes on. Yeah. Um, it's her Broadway training that gave her that. Yeah. She she sticks to it the whole time. It yeah. improves over the course of the movie. She As has Bella Baxter. John Bella Baxter. Yeah. She, she has, like, her own, you know, unique style of dress the entire time with the giant sleeves, yeah. but then, like, I, shorts. The uh, costume it, design, it, the production design of this. Mark Ruffalo gets, like, an asshole turn. I was like, Mark Ruffalo is really serving. I, I wouldn't know based on, like, superhero films. But he's really acting here. Willem Dafoe provides like a yeah. decent amount of comedy through his like weird little things about his life yeah. and childhood and everything. Yeah. I no, I was just just very very surprised yeah. and I, like again of this year. Yeah, you know, obviously we we had some good movies this year. We yeah. had like Oppenheimer, we had Barbie, we mm-hmm. had you know Godzilla minus one. Um, and Godzilla Minus One, you know... I think Godzilla Minus One is going to be thrown a bone at the Oscars. I'm just saying. I, and, and that, I, 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 I mean, agree. I yeah. want it to have more, because I haven't seen it yet, and I agree with you. I think that seeing it's going to transform me, because I did experience a lot of Godzilla films on this. Yeah. And no, well, you, I, Minus One will definitely... Yeah. Well, but, you bring it along. It, yeah. You know, and that's... That, that probably remains up there for me with, like, Boy and the Heron. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are, like nanometers yeah. of close <laughs> to each other uh but poor things was was like the best movie going experience that i had this year wow. it was just like like damn that's even cinema. on that non-dolby screen even on that non-dolby hey, it was but it's at our childhood theater of yeah, mountainside yeah so yeah. that's where we've seen all the movies that's where we're the most comfortable yeah, yeah. from the lies of albus Dumbledore to poor things yeah exactly yeah Quite a quite a contrast, but yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I think it was a critical darling as well. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it a lot. I love the sex positivity of it all. Mm-hmm. I just really loved it. I was like, this is like a, a Shakespearean. At one point, they reference um, Oscar Wilde, and the one actress says like the handbag, and I was like, oh, that's like an importance of being earnest thing. Okay, because it's like you trapped a baby in a handbag. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, so it's in an alternative universe of our own. Mm-hmm. Where it's happened, I was like, "Oh, that's very, very, very highbrow for me." Yeah, and yeah. I, I need more viewings to catch stuff like yeah. that. Well, but you I need I'm, more theater knowledge. I there. need more, yeah. more knowledge. Uh, I turned to you and I said, "The handbag." That's from importance of being earnest, and you said, "What?" <laughs> I was just like looking up with yeah. giant sparkly eyes, just yeah. like hmm. Mm. nothing was going to bring me down. Uh, but oh, yeah, yeah, I recommend it. It is just a delightfully weird, amazing movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I loved it, too. I don't think it's going to win everything. It'll win something. Mm-hmm. But it was a great film. Yes. All right, Dan. Is that all? 
Yes, we have an event, I believe. We do have an event. So, uh, because this is the 30th Sinister Six episode... Gotta break um, open my notes. Mathematically, it did not work out that this episode is a Sinister Selection. Mm. Um, but we did figure that we would, uh, you know, since... You can divide 6 into 30. We would... Uh, <laughs> 6, 12, 18, 24. Yes. We would, uh, you know, go through and... Our top 10 of our Sinister Six picks. Yes. And, yeah. and we decided that it would be best if we just chose from all of them. Not just from our own, but from... From both. Now listen, Dan and I went to the Kenilworth Diner. Mm-hmm. We had a, a memorial service for all the Sinister Six that might not appor- appear here. Yes. We gave them a fleeting thought. We gave them a notion. Yes. But, you know, unfortunately, some of your favorites might not make our top ten list. But th- I will say, compared to trying to figure out my favorite directors, this list flowed quite naturally. I will say the same. Yeah. This list was very, uh, you know, second nature to me. And I should also note that for my list, um, the the initial reaction to the film or the quality of the film notwithstanding, I, I put things on this list, for one thing, if they were memorable also. Okay. Yep. So, like, if yeah. it, like what when I think back on Sinister Sixes, what stands out the I just most. went on instinct, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I have a justification for all of these. Okay. Um, so, shall we reverse name them, Dan? Uh, yes, we should. Do you want to start, or should I? I'll, I'll start from number 10. Mm-hmm. Number 10 on my list, The Bye-Bye Man. Oh! Yeah. Didn't even make my list, but I'm glad. <laughs> I loved The Bye-Bye Man. It was a classique. It was a horror genre. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a little pencil in the desk drawer that you draw an apparition on. Okay. I loved The Bye-Bye Man. It was a fun time. Very good. At the cinema show. I love a horror... I love the Bye Bye Man sitting on the train tracks. No, it, it is a is a classic horrible <laughs> horror movie. Yes. So I'm glad that you I'm glad that it's getting mentioned here. Mm. Uh, for my number ten, uh, as a nod to you, no. I put Babylon. Number ten. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's ex- upsetting to me, Dan. Only number um, ten because I I did hate the initial viewing. Oh, um, Babylon ranks highly on my list. I, I did, I did, I, I was filled with anger. I was raging. Yeah. Uh, it, again, it, it was, was like, too hot. It was too hot said. in yeah. here. I was yeah. dehydrated. Your quote, it was um, too hot. The film felt like four hours long of, of celebrities patting themselves on the back. We'll watch again. But when I cooled down, I'm like, that was a big, stupid, extravagant movie. Okay. I should forgive it some. Yeah. Uh, and it's not on my list because I thought it was good. It's on my list because that was... If you sought out to, you know, torture that really me... Upset, that really upset me, Dan, that you put that only number 10. That should be higher on your list. But if you were going to weaponize it against me, it was memorable for that reason, and I put it on my list. Wow. So, yeah. All right, my number my number nine, my second pick, it has to be Troll 2. Of course, yeah. Troll 2, classic going to Neil Bog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pissing on American hospitality. Yes. It's there. It's what everything that Dan would Ryan would want out of a Sinister Six pick. I completely agree. And it, I figured you would put this on your... I don't have yeah. it on mine, but oh I figured you God, would. Oh my God, Dan, you're doing me a disservice. They're all your picks, aren't they? No. Yeah. No. No. No, 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 no. no. We're going to... I, I think I have like an even split, in oh fact. Gosh, how our lists differ, but... You know, Troll 2 is a classic cult film. Mm-hmm. It's been the internet genre for a lot. Um, 
I just love it so much. It's so cheaply made. It's wonderful. There's mm-hmm. a backstory to it. All the actors have come forward about it. I love Troll 2. And I thought Dan Ryan would have it higher on his list, but... I would say it was close. Mm. Yeah, um, but no cigar. Uh, my number nine, fairly easy pick. It was our recent viewing of Street Fighter. Um, oh my god, I don't even have that on my list. Well, exactly, but we're at differing tastes. <laughs> but, Different uh, strokes. To me, Street Fighter is like a quintessential... I like Street Fighter. It was up yeah. there. It's a stupid movie, and I think that if you're like getting into mocking bad movies with your friends... Street Fighter is a very, very easy movie to start with. Yeah. Like, you can sit around with buddies... And watch Street Fighter. And yeah. just rag on it, and you'll get larfs, you'll get some references... You'll see Raul Julia flying. Yeah. Even though he's about to die, but unfortunately. It's, you know, it's, uh... It, yeah. For that reason, I put it on my list. Uh, my number eight. The Giant Spider Invasion... Also my number eight. Oh, look at that. We did that. Synchronicity. I love the giant spider invasion. You were yes. like, oh, I'm worried. This is going to be too crappy for you. I'm like, no, this is exactly what I like in a Sinister Six. Mm-hmm. It felt like a Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm-hmm. And it uh, was. Yeah. yeah. I, I enjoyed it. There were a lot of spiders. There were a lot of spiders. Lot of spiders. A lot of actors not knowing how to react in the background while they're running away from a spider. I just, I loved it so much. Uh, I, I am... Uh, yeah, no, for all the reasons you stated, this this ended up being one of the, like, this is what I aim for when I bring Sinister Six movies, mm. uh, and I've tried to emulate that, uh, you know, it, it hasn't worked out because of, you know, the random chance, not yet too much, but this is the type of movie that I intend to keep on bringing for Sinister Six in okay. the future, so right. I had to put it on there. Good to know. I like that type, so it'll make at least my top ten for next time. Mm-hmm. In the, the top 60. Yes. <laughs> Sinister Six. Number seven, my uh, first Sinister pick, mm-hmm. Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Okay, and I, go on here. I figured you would you would bring those, so I, I refrained. Oh, oh, but... yeah, oh, oh, I didn't include any of them on my list. I, I have some of yours, don't you worry. You'll yeah, be surprised. I haven't seen them yet, but okay. You'll be very surprised. Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte is like a culmination of everything that I was working towards. It was mm-hmm. like classic movie turned cruddy. Yes. And I love that. It's like Betty Davis playing an older, younger version of herself. Well, what more could you want in a Jonathan Sinister Six, Dan? That was that was your first attempt at serialization with uh, yeah, the, I, the... No, it lined up perfectly. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't influence that at all. It just lined up that you chose um, you all know, the evil bitty movies. Yes, that was the in a that row, was the thing. And yeah. I said this is the perfect first Sinister Six pick that I thought aligned perfectly mm-hmm. in our choices. Yes, you know? yeah. And so I mean, I love Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte. I think it's a Southern you know melodrama that should be preserved on film. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone should see it uh, in this following order that we saw it in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. With faster pussycat kill kill. Yes. <laughs> And the original, whatever happened to Baby Jane. Of course. But I love Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte. That's all I'll say. Um, my number seven is Drag Me to Hell. Ooh, I do love Drag Me to Hell. That was a near yeah. miss on my list. Not on my list, but I do love Drag Me to Hell. Uh, you you provided that, and that was... It shares something else with a few other entries on this list where you brought that out. I was never expecting in a million years for that to show up mm-hmm. here. Um, but it is a movie that I love. It is, it is quality Sam Raimi, uh, even if it, even if it has a lot of cheese, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, that's a Sam Raimi joint. And it is, yeah. it is. Like, that's, that's what he does. 
I and, knew you would love. I knew I would yeah. love. It's like it's joint love. It's it's us. great yeah. horror. Uh, we still thoroughly recommend checking that movie out. Yep. Uh, next number six, the iconic Showgirls. Mine is also Showgirls oh for number my six. God. Wow, we were really similar. I love yeah, that. that. Yeah. So Showgirls, a classic film that I might return to at some point. The Paul Verhoeven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, national joint i love showgirls i think it deserves more love in the fan community even though it's got a lot yeah in like the bad movie community i think it's a an honestly good movie it's it is it is a special movie it is like <laughs> it has a place in our hearts it has its own vibe that is entirely its own and i think it's required viewing for bad movie stuff uh, we had a blast watching it. I yeah. think that's our aside most... Aside from the rape scene. Aside from the rape scene. Yeah. And that should be cut. That's our most NC-17 episode mm-hmm. yet, uh, I yeah. think. But I, you know, I had to put it on there because it, it stands... The test of time. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. You know, not... Know me, Malone. Different places. Mm-hmm. I love eating dog food. I love Showgirls, Dan. Yeah. It's a classic film. So why don't you give us your number five? Since we were joint number six. My number five is Star Crash. Ooh, I don't have that on my list. Cause and I don't remember StarCraft at all. <laughs> it, it, it is a, a true, like, B-movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe that one came from Canon Studios, who were famous for pumping those movies out. Yeah. But it, it is just, you know, top-tier, cheap, silly, but endearing science fiction it's it's like you know you have the you know lady running around and she's wearing like a like a leather one piece yeah. and she's like a, a badass but she's still a badass she's played by Catherine Monroe mm-hmm. who did a ton of those movies uh you have the terrible texas accent grant robot who's also a space sheriff mm-hmm. uh you have the knockoff you know we have force powers from wish type thing uh where the the one guy with the perm gets killed early on but he's Mm kind of like a jedi you got stop motion robots and you got the outer space which is lit with like multicolored christmas lights Mm -hmm. and i still love that imagery i still i've always maintained that if i ever make a space thing i'm going to be exactly the same um so i had to put it here so my number five iconic film you really changed my mind on oh, this Oh, I'm one. sorry. Yeah. I think it's Carolyn Monroe. <laughs> sorry, I Not apologize. Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. But Carolyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. My number five iconic film, Congo. Mine was number four for Congo. Ooh, we were close, Dan. We were close. I do love Congo. I guess we can go tattletale for this. Mm-hmm. I loved Amy the Gorilla. Mm-hmm. That she was acting and serving despite the CGI that was influenced upon her. Yes. I I just love this film. It was so stupid. It was so dumb. Mm-hmm. Taking a trip to the Congo via airplane. Yeah. <laughs> I, Tim Curry. I, I loved it all, Dan. Like, you really... Surprisingly, you served up a lot of bad movies on this yeah. Sinister Six thing. And I was like, oh, Dan Ryan gets me at some points. I'll give him the like the classic Hollywood alternative to Sinister Six. Mm-hmm. And then he'll serve me off the, the main course of Sinister Six. Well, thank you. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, Congo was my number four. four okay. And, and right. Congo was in the pot when you first suggested Sinister Six. Yeah. Congo was the first and foremost mm-hmm. choice to go into the pot without okay. even just reflexively. Yeah. It was the like, Popeye oh, that's going in there. Yeah. Yeah. And 
it, it was one of those movies where I had seen it like 10,000 times on TV. and 10,000 tons of ice cream. 10,000 tons of ice cream. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I was I was worried that, you know, it wouldn't be too entertaining when I brought it here. Mm. But I think you saw the <laughs> the goofiness of it. Yes. You know, and, and I'm, I'm glad that you appreciated it for that. All right. So on to my number four, mm-hmm. since you mentioned your number four mm-hmm. already. An Alien from L.A., Yes. I, I, I don't know why, I don't know how, I fucking loved this movie. I I didn't, it didn't make mine, but I I, I wasn't sure if... uh, I thoroughly enjoyed An Alien from L.A. I think it was one of the greatest films we brought on this podcast, or you Mm. brought on this podcast. It was just so funny. It was so much going on, like a lot of world building going Mm -hmm. on there. Um, I thought there was a lot of acting choices. The, The set design was amazing. Yeah. I was like, this needs to be seen by the masses. People need to know about an alien from L.A. I, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the 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 sleeper uh, Kathy Ireland in glasses I, I, sci-fi I hit. This could be a good movie instead of a okay. bad movie, in my opinion. Well, I... I don't know. We've willed stupider things into existence, but maybe it'll get a it'll get some kind of re-release through yeah. like Vinegar Syndrome or oh, something. Oh, I'll be there whenever you want to watch it. Just call me up. Because my copy is like uh, again, it was like a DVD that had to have been rotting in the Amazon warehouse for like eighteen years at that point. Mm-hmm. But I I got it. Yeah, uh, you got it. I I had to make sure it wouldn't brick the PS5 when we watched Oof. it. But it was uh, no, I'm I'm. Very happy to hear that it made your list. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, onto so my number four. Oh, Congo was my number four. Okay, so you're number three. Last night in Soho. That's my number three, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Last night in Soho. Look at us. Baby. Look at us. Put a couple of cards here. Yeah, no. Oh my god. I couldn't make this list and not put Last Night in Soho. So, number three, both it of is, us. It is unironically. A movie that I love. Yeah. I, I don't I, want people to... I've got a to, poster on my wall. I, I don't want people to forget it. I want people <laughs> no. to keep talking about it. No! It, it, it is just... A, it is just... I, like, I don't... Diana Rigg in her last cinematic debut. Yeah, and it, <laughs> it and, and it was... It is one of those ones where... It just borders on being able to count as a Sinister Six movie. Um, it's good, but bad. Yeah. It, Matt, it, Matt didn't like it. Matt uh, Macabrera didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that, I don't know if it was divisive, but I, I think it was, it got, like, middling reception, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know, I was so happy when that, oh. when you pulled that from the uh, the pot. Yeah. That, that was... Well you, well, you pulled it from well, the pot. Well, no, I mean <laughs> that you had it in the, yeah, it when in you the pot, revealed yeah. it. Um, yeah. But, love that movie, I was very happy that you brought it, and... More people need to see it. Yeah, Last Night in Soho, banging soundtrack, wonderful acting, stupid plot, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we love on Sinister Six, as always. I I, I mean, I thought that I was placing it a little bit too highly, but seeing that we both matched it at number three, mm-hmm. there's nothing more that I can want from Dan. That's like the win of the night. Of course. Me. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, we've got two more movies to go. Yeah. All right. You're number two, Dan. Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera, not even on my list. Ignored. I, when when the entire well, Sinis- you've got a thing for Minnie. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, but when the entire Sinister Six thing was brought up, I assumed by default that at some point you would bring Phantom of the Opera. Mm. I had seen it years and years ago. Mm. I had never put much thought into it. Yeah. 
Um, but obviously, with uh, you know Lindsay Ellis's video essays and everything, yeah. I was very, very excited to watch it in the context of this podcast because I knew you would curate it and talk me through the history and the yeah. the adaptation stuff and uh-huh. the and for that reason, that Sinister Six reveal for me filled me with the most joy of anything on this list. Mm. Like I was like, yes, we're going to do. Phantom you were an of the almond Opera. joy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mounds and mounds of joy. I was just oh. so happy that it was included. Phantom of the Opera. Well, and that... it is, and it does count as a Sinister Six movie. Like it, it is a that gives me strength for future picks. Then it is a uh, movie. Yeah. But I think it's a fascinating uh, movie because mm. it has a lot of complicated reasons for how it ended up a meh adaptation. Yeah. So, yeah. My number two. You rated it a little later. It's Babylon. Okay, of course. I think Babylon's a good movie now. Mm-hmm. After watching it 18 times, back to back. You've had to defend it. I've had to reconsider it. You know, maybe Damien Chazelle was right mm-hmm. <laughs> in corrupting Hollywood. I love Babylon, Dan. I think it's a great film. When Millie Forbrush, <laughs> played by Margot Robbie, mm-hmm. is like, I'm from New Jersey, and I've come here to make myself a star. I'm like, this is the anti La Land. It's everything I want in a bad movie. Mm-hmm. But we didn't. It showed up on both of our lists, mm-hmm. which I think is a great service for Babylon. Yeah, I, I think it, 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 again, very different approach, but, <laughs> but, but, but it, is, here. Yeah. it is a memorable movie. Yeah. And if I if I was going to sub it out in that 10 slot, it was probably going to be Australia just oh, by virtue Oh, I was going to mention Australia's not going to mention on one of our lists. I was just by virtue of, like, being a movie where th- this upset me enough that I'm going to remember it. Yeah. You know, because bad memories are still memories. And, yes. I'm, you know, yes. so that's, yeah, so it came down to that. But I, I, I assumed it would be high up for you. So we had Babylon. Yes. Yes. Did we do number two? Is this our number one? What are we doing? We're on to number one now. Number one. I I think we picked the same number one. Did we? I think we did. I think I know you very well, Dan Ryan. I think we picked the same number one. Could it be Supergirl? It's Supergirl is my number one. That's why we're yes. friends, Dan Ryan. Yes. <laughs> we're shaking hands over the table. We're appreciating each other. Supergirl is the number one Sinister yeah. Six pick. It's not a bad movie. It's a great movie. <laughs> it's a phenomenal film. And that, I will remind everyone, was a a random last oh minute swap in because I couldn't find another movie. And Brenda I'm like, Vaccaro spinning. <laughs> Out into a twister, and I'm like, fuck it, I don't have physical media of it, we'll put it on HBO Max. And you and didn't know what you did there. No, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, Because yeah, I hadn't watched held. it, so it was just I said, like... this is one of my favorite films. It's the best superhero movie I've ever seen in my life. And and it is, it is like a, a, a perfect bad movie for that kind of viewing with oh. people, because it is, there are huge stretches of boredom followed by, like insane crap happening it's wonderful it's a beautiful film yeah yeah and and like i feel very sad that the only reference it's gotten in recent years was like a terrible cgi cameo in that flash movie but i I don't know it was like this is what sinister six like this is what i want to strive for when when i bring it's like but but even then i can't strive for it because it was random chance Mm mm-hmm and I think you would also attest that some of these things that you've put in yeah, here is random chance. Definitely, of course. Sometimes it's those picks that that end up being. Some I forgot of the most to mention my Babylon was like the second selection. Do you have any selections on this? Um, I did not because my sinister selections <laughs> were uh, 
Wonder Woman 85. Yeah, which didn't make my list. Which I didn't, I'm yeah. not putting on. Yeah. Um, and it was then, close to me, but... And Batman and Robin, which yeah. I'm... I love, but I'm, movie. I'm completely desensitized to. Like, yeah. I just, like, that's just a movie I yeah. love. So I, yeah. I didn't, it didn't, it didn't track register. too yeah, well in my head to put it on this. I would say both of my sensitive selections were on our list. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Except for Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte for yours, but mm-hmm. we both had Babylon. Yes. Yeah. So I, I am, uh, yeah, yeah it worked but, out. But Supergirl defining cinematic moment. I think this movie has to be reconsidered by most of our fan base. It just clums- just watch and love it. Clumsy plug and Popeyes. <laughs> You know, just just having nothing to Popeye's do with Supergirl. Popeye's not Popeye, the original one that started all not on our list. Yeah, yeah. It, it, which which deserves. I an thought about Popeye here. a lot. Yeah, yeah. Because one of these movies in this pod is related to that. So, <sighs> um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm I think we. I think what could have been a, a, a civil war between us no, it, has ended it, up being a peace treaty. You know, yeah, a civil yeah. rights peace treaty between the Dan and Jonathan Accords. There's a black and white photo of us shaking hands. I, I love that. As yeah. a crowd cheers. we both agreed a lot. Yeah. Like, oh, we are this matched up. Yeah. Go figure. I kind of love that, Dan. Here's to 30 more. <laughs> Here's to 30 more. <laughs> yeah. So the, yeah. well, well, 31, since we're considering tonight's in the new pot, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I yeah, guess if, this it, is... if it, like, trumps somehow something on my list, I'll mention it. Yeah, this is this is 30. Yeah. Um, but, uh, this but yeah. is 30. <laughs> but, yeah, that's... Uh, shall we keep the momentum? Our synesthes, yeah. Our synesthes. Over, yeah. <laughs> shall we keep the momentum going and have you pick... We got it. It's an hour. An hour into this podcast, Dan. Okay. I gotta pick fast. Last week, Mm. when uh, I was doing the sign-off teaser, I promised a theme of heroes and villains. But? Um, One key (laughs) piece of physical media did not arrive in time. Of course. And I am not... I am not going to to exclude it because mm-hmm. I didn't buy that Blu-ray for any other reason than to watch on this podcast so mm-hmm. it's not we're not using another medium to do it we'll watch it eventually it'll be in there for the future yes um so luckily there was a scrappy little movie off to the side mm. that was willing and able to join the pot yeah. so it is no longer heroes and villains but instead, this is a classic Sinister Six pot from me that includes action, fantasy, and horror. Okay. You're, uh, you're three tenants. Yeah. Three tenants. Yeah. Um, and in some regard, each one has like a spiritual connection to either us or something previously on this okay. podcast. Okay, okay. Uh, one of them, I would argue, is, is my equivalent to Popeye. Uh, the other... Well, actually, the second one not re- the second one it's is also Popeye. is in line with uh, w- was actually in the first Sinister Six pod, Ooh. but was bumped by what I considered superior movies, but mm. came back for this. Mm. And the other one deals with a personal fear of yours. Oh my! So if you wouldn't mind shaking up the bag and oh, pulling, I'm scared to share up this bad movie beret. Oh, I feel there's three slips in within. Mm-hmm. Which one do I pick? Well, this one popped out. So, I mean, I feel like I have to pick it. Go for it. All right. Codename, D's Walnuts. Okay. You have picked mm. Dick Tracy. Oh, a classic! Madonna! <laughs> in a Stephen Sondheim written musical number! Yes. <laughs> I've never seen it! But I know of it very well, Dan Ryan. Oh, Stephen Sondheim wrote for this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, Dick Tracy. Yeah. 
All I know is Madonna, Dick Tracy, that one number she performed at the Oscars. That's it. Yeah, she. We'll we'll get yeah, into that. Yeah. Uh, but but. Oh, I love yeah. this. This so is a Jonathan pick. <laughs> and, and I draw this as a parallel to Popeye because oh. it is a it is a comic strip adaptation that met with a very sad fate, I suppose, yeah. in how it was received by the public. Mm. So I think it'll it'll give off similar vibes to that. Yeah, I've been waiting to watch this. I haven't seen it. Okay, very I'm, good. I'm ready and willing to do so. I know a little bit about the backstory, a la Madonna and Steven Sondheim. Of that's course. That's it. Yep. Um, but uh, under the codename These Walnuts, Dick Tracy <laughs> is a 1990 American action crime movie based on the 1930s comic strip of the same name. Mm. It, cent- it centers around the famous detective's conflict with crime boss Alphonse Big Boy Caprice and his henchmen. Dick Tracy also has two Jonathan-esque romance options and a young street tough that he takes under his wing. Mm. Uh, an adaptation of the comic strip entered the planning phase in the early 1980s. Warren Beatty, the main guy in charge of this, yes. uh, had his own concept for a movie as early as 1975, but he was unable to, con- to convince the rights holders to make it happen. It cycled through numerous writers and directors, including Steven Spielberg and mm. Martin Scorsese. Yeah, yeah. Um, finally, Warren Beatty joined the project, project as the director, producer, and the, the main character. Mm. I believe he also contributed something to the script, too, so this was like a trifecta for him, mm-hmm. um, allowing the film to finally move forward. Uh, Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Richard Gere, Tom Selleck, and Mel Gibson were also considered for the lead role. To their credit, the screenwriting duo of Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. did their research. Epps himself read every single Dick Tracy comic strip in order to get all of the details right. Uh, Beatty himself was obviously a fan of Dick Tracy, making this something of a passion project for him. Uh, it was Beatty who opted to make the movie a stylized homage to the original comics, yep. instead of giving it a more violent and gritty update. Uh, when Disney became concerned about Beatty going over budget on, you know, he had gone over budget on previous mm-hmm. directing projects, uh, he agreed to have any budget overruns deducted from his own fees for the film. Oh, a passion project. That's how much he believed yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Uh, the film Me with Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet of 1812. Of course, just, yeah. Just take my paycheck. <laughs> Uh, the film was originally budgeted for $25 million, but ended up costing over $101 million oh my God, that's a lot of money! <laughs> after filming, marketing, studio overhead, and interest was factored wow. in. Uh, besides Betty, the, uh, the cast includes Al Pacino, Madonna, yep. uh, Glenn Headley, uh, Charlie Corsmo, with appearances by Dustin Hoffman, James mm-hmm. Keene, Charles Durning, William Forsyth, wow. Seymour Castle, Mandy Patinkin... Ah! Catherine O'Hara. Oh my god, all these theater queens in here. Ed O'Ross, James Caan, James Tolkien, and Dick Van Dyke. My god, why haven't I seen this before? It's mentioned every episode on Drag Race. It's one of Michelle Visage's favorite movies. Oh. Because she loves Madonna. Uh, well, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was... mean, it's not a Vita, but it's <laughs> This Tracy. was fated to work out then, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, so early in the development of Dick Tracy, Betty uh, opted to make the film using a palette limited to just seven colors. Okay. Primarily red, blue, green, <laughs> and yellow to evoke the film's comic strip origins. Mm. Furthermore, each of the colors was to be exactly the same shade across the board. 
Beatty's design team included production designer Richard uh, Silbert uh, and set decorator Rick Simpson, cinematographer Vittorio Stotaro, uh, whom Beatty had worked with on previous films, uh, and then visual effects supervisors Michael Lloyd, Harrison Ellenshaw, uh, pr- prosthetic makeup designers John Caglione Jr. Mm. and Doug Drexler, and costume designer Melina uh, Cannonero. Their main intention was to stay as close to Chester Gold's original drawings from the 1930s as possible. Uh, Other influences came from the Art Deco movement and German Expressionism. Love that. Yeah. Uh, For Stotaro, the limited color palette was the most challenging aspect of the production, uh, you know, because these are not the kinds of colors that audiences, you know, are used to seeing splashed in front of them Mm -hmm. very often. Uh, These are much more dynamic in strength, in saturation, uh, and, you know, since comic strips are usually done with very simple, uh, easily understood emotions and things like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was difficult to kind of switch that over to film. Um, Sotaro theorized, like, one of the elements is that the story is usually told in vignettes, so what we tried to do is never move the camera at all. Uh. Um, for the matte paintings, uh, Ellen Shaw and Lloyd uh, executed over 57 paintings on glass, which were then optically combined with the live-action footage. Uh, for a brief sequence in which the kid dashes in front of a speeding locomotive, uh, only 150 feet of real track was laid. Uh, the train itself was a two-foot scale model, mm. and the surrounding train yard is all a matte painting, so it, it takes advantage of that a lot. Uh, this film was one of the last major American studio blockbusters to have no computer-generated imagery at all, because mm. it was right at that cutoff as the 90s were starting. Mm. Uh, Danny Elfman composed the film's score wow. with the help of his Oingo Boingo bandmate, Steve uh, Bartek, mm-hmm. uh, as well as fe- fellow composer Shirley Walker. And you you know... Oh, okay, and then here we go. In yes. addition, Betty hired acclaimed songwriter Stephen Sondheim, Sondheim. Yeah. to write five original songs for the film. Yeah, he wanted to. They are Sooner or Later, I Always Get My Man, mm-hmm. More... Live Alone and Like It, Back in Business, and What Can You Lose? Mm. Uh, the On the reviewer aggregator site, Rotten Tomatoes, the film currently holds a 63% based on 56 reviews. More than middling. Yeah, so so above I'm the, love it. the usual worry. average yeah. of our usual Sinister Six picks, but it was, you know, just due to the, how complicated it was and for the middling results, that was a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, the site's critical consensus reads, Dick Tracy is stylish, unique, and an undeniable technical triumph, but it ultimately struggles to rise above its two-dimensional artificiality. Uh, uh, on Metacritic, similarly, it has a 68 out of 100, uh, indicating generally favorable reviews, and on CinemaScore, it has a B+. So not bad grades across the board, but we'll decide what the end quality is. Mm -hmm. Roger Eber gave the film four stars in his review, uh, arguing that Warren Beatty succeeded in creating the perfect tone of nostalgia for the film. Uh, He also praised the makeup designs and the matte paintings that were used. Mm. And in general, a lot of praise does go, rightfully so, to the prosthetic makeup. Because, you know, you're barely recognizing that it's Al Pacino in there, aside from the way he talks. Mm. Um... So it, uh, you know, other critics are like uh, Owen Gleiberman was of Entertainment Weekly was, uh, it, you know, he gave it a mixed review, but he was impressed by Madonna's performance. Yeah. Uh, Dick Tracy is an honest effort, but finally a bit of folly. It could have used a little less color and a little more flesh and blood. Um, in one heavily negative review, 
Uh, for the Washington Post, Dessen Thompson criticized Disney's hyped marketing campaign and the film in general. Dick Tracy is Hollywood's annual celebration of everything that's wrong with Hollywood. Ooh. Very similar to, to criticisms I've made in the Babylon. past. Babylon, yeah. Um, and then he, uh, another, you know, other reviewers like Peter Travers found some similarities uh, that weren't so good with, like, Batman 1989. Yeah. Uh, it's just because it was, you know, it could be seen as this big passion project, but ultimately it fit all of the tropes and cliches that you would expect, and it had a very, very aggressive marketing campaign. Mm. Like, this film is supposed to make us money when, yeah. it, when it finally comes out. Um so, although Max Allen Collins, uh, then a Dick Tracy comic strip writer, had conflicts with Disney concerning the novelization, he gave the finished film a positive review. Uh, he praised Beatty for hiring an elaborate design team and uh, his decision to mimic the strip's limited color palette. Uh, you know, he also enjoyed Warren Beatty's performance himself as the main character. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, like many, it's going to be a recurring thing here. Did they sacrifice the storyline in exchange for this visual pop, mm. I suppose? It garnered seven Academy Award nominations, winning in three of the categories, wow. as you would know. Right, uh, yeah. Best Original Song, Best Makeup, and Best Art Direction. Okay, I'm, I'm enamored. Uh, it was not as much of a hit as Disney had hoped. They were banking on it becoming a major franchise like Indiana Jones. Mm. Uh, Then-studio chairman Jeffrey Katzenberger, who... If we haven't discussed him before, we may in the future, if mm -hmm. we ever get to, like, uh, the Black Cauldron we'll and things like that. Yeah. Uh, he's a very hit-or-miss individual, um, but uh, he... Oh, sorry, lost my place there. Mm -hmm. da -da -da. Jeffrey Katzenberger. Jeffrey Katzenberger. Black Cauldron. Oh, no. Oh, no. Any love. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he regretted the amount of money that had been spent on the picture and stated the profits were probably too small to mm. have justified this. Uh, Beatty has been teasing a sequel for almost three decades now, mm. uh, but time and rights issues have slowed the process down. Uh, during this time, Beatty ended up retaining the movie rights by occasionally doing interviews and retrospectives in character. Oh. So... Uh, it's a very curious process if anyone wants to look into it. Dick but Tracy. Yeah. He has, uh, he's done interviews as the character, and there was also on, I believe, ABC, there was like an anniversary retrospective thing mm. where he appeared as an aged Dick Tracy, mm. and according to how the, the rights issues work, he's portraying the character... In a, in a scripted context, therefore, Beatty gets to keep the rights to mm -hmm. that. Um, but, like, adapting the entire property itself is kind of a stickier situation at this mm -hmm. point. Because Beatty would have to get, I believe, other people to sign off on getting another film made. Yeah. So, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, my experience with it... Um, I came to this movie in actually a very weird fashion, mm -hmm. uh, because as a, as a fan of theme park-centric YouTube videos, I have frequently heard about the never-built Disney ride, Dick Tracy's Crime Stoppers. <laughs> Michael, Michael Eisner, uh, the CEO of Disney in the 90s, was apparently very, very excited about this movie, mm -hmm. having presumably grown up with the comic strip as a kid. Uh, he was one of the people banking on it to be a smash hit that would, you know, be their new big thing. Mm -hmm. Um... 
but the film's quote-unquote failure resulted in the ride being cancelled. Uh, Dick Tracy would still appear in the parks in the short-lived, and I love this title, Dick Tracy Diamond Double Cross Stage Show, which yeah. I believe is what your stage show would be called would be, if you yeah. were given one. It would double cross you for some diamonds, Dan. And the original ride system for the Dick Tracy ride would have been, uh, the characters would kind of be <laughs> in little, uh, like, old-timey cars, yeah. and they would be whisked through this city as a mob <laughs> shootout was happening, pursuing criminals. Yeah. And I think that parts of that system were used in, like, the Buzz Lightyear ride and mm. other, other like, ride-and-shoot type rides like that. Mm. Um, but I think the only thing that exists of this ride now are kind of, like, uh, just concept sketches, which look really cool, mm -hmm. but it never materialized. I, I believe it would have gone in that, uh, like, probably Disney MGM Studios when that was getting refurbished in the 90s because it was a movie ride. Um, but, yeah, never materialized. Um, so, Cringe Corner. Mm. Uh, the film is nowhere near, in my opinion, as serious an offender as other Sinister Six picks. Okay. That being said, it definitely, in my opinion, emphasizes style over substance. Lots of scenes feel very rushed, seemingly because they're meant to be like comic book panels. Mm -hmm. And there is virtue in doing that. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing you can certainly try to do to make your movie more interesting, but it still feels weird. Uh, my main point of cringe contention is uh, there's a crime-fighting montage that looks like a highlight reel from a TV show. Huh. It's just random scenes with music playing over them, but the characters are talking. You know, it we it, it's muted, but there's music playing over it, so it feels like they filmed seven other movies or TV episodes and spliced them into Together. a very awkward montage mm -hmm. to convey, you know, what in a comic strip would be like a page worth of action mm -hmm. into a very weird live action setting. So that that is something to be on the lookout for. But any previewing expectations? You know, oddly enough, I haven't seen this film before. Mm -hmm. It's been mentioned to me through drag race culture, pop media culture. Mm -hmm. I've seen Madonna in Evita, so I should have seen her in this. I haven't seen it before. I'm ready, I'm willing, I'm able. Mm -hmm. It's been exclaimed. I think this is gonna, you know, this might just trump our list. I, I, I As hope number it does. 30, you did it again. Dan. I was very much hoping that you had never seen this movie, because yeah. you're going in with uh, enough, Eyes Unclouded. Uh, Steven Sondheim, huge fan, haven't seen this, only seen the Oscar performance of it. So we're going to be in for quite a wild ride here, so I advise you hang on to your walnuts, <gasps> and maybe check your ceiling, because I think there's some coffee leaking through it, oh. but I don't know. Hmm. Folgers? Chalk full of nuts. <laughs> And we are back, everyone, having just watched uh, Warren Beatty's 1990 passion project, Dick Tracy. And I think that someone enjoyed themselves. <laughs> you really got me, Dan. We just did a Sinister Six retrospective, and I'm going to have to say this is going to take the place of number eight, the giant spider invasion. 
Very good. And it's going to go there instead, unfortunately. It was great. It was wonderful. It's everything I ever wanted. I love that we found a flip side of the coin with like, a, I don't know. It felt like a, a seminal film piece during that year mm-hmm. that was also kind of bad. Yeah. 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 Um, in, in a lot of ways, this I, this was picked completely by random chance, but again, it does have a lot of parallels with Popeye, in yeah. which um, we a, did that. Yeah, a lot of effort is put into adapting this comic strip, uh, you know, this cartoon, with like a lot of emphasis put on the costume design and the set design. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few other weird little parallels that we noticed in yeah. terms of how this worked out. Yeah. But it was fitting that, that Popeye started it and Dick Tracy is the 30th. And Dan Ryan didn't know the gates he opened with this film. Yeah. yeah. So, I think I've know, inspired... More torture on the way. You know, I put the, the, the gears of my own destruction in motion yeah. here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, as a few side notes, one, this, uh, for the time being, is the last prestige pick I have in my Sinister Six pot. Very Jonathan-esque, um, yeah. You know, this is the, the last one that will kind of give you that warm and fuzzy movie feeling, I think. Because uh, I've, I've been investing in finding crap for future episodes mm-hmm. uh, that I don't think will surpass this in terms of, like, Rotten Tomatoes score or fitting. general critical reception. It was reception. fitting for our first 30. Yeah. That this is the last one, I think, that I picked. Yeah. And, and even then, upon uh, this viewing, because I've seen this movie a few times, but and upon this viewing, I forgive certain nitpicks, like, you know, like my... I still kind of have an issue with the way the montages are done, because that part of comic strips doesn't translate well to the big screen. Mm-hmm. But I think it really is an enjoyable movie. Yeah. I think... I, I don't oh, hear yeah. people talk about it a lot. No, it's a great film. You know, and, and even then, it, because it's like a little more of like an obscure hipsterish choice, I was actually worried that you guys had already done it on the... Like, that was one wow. of the things that I was like looking back for. If I would for, have seen it, I would have done it, but... Not, not now. To find, so I do, you know, I think we do recommend checking it out. Yeah. Um, I didn't see Manny Patinkin in this. He might have been under heavy makeup <laughs> as, like, I one didn't of know the, which one he was! Well, uh, there's a lot of background people, and yeah. I think that he was probably under makeup in the background somewhere. Mm. Uh, because, again, top-notch makeup effects. Wow. Um, but if you approve, yes. I will get into the plot. Please do. So, in what we assume is New York City, uh, organized crime is or on the rise. It could be Chicago. It could be Chicago. <laughs> it it it's connected to another city directly mm-hmm. across from it. Yeah. So it's so it's, New York. it's mostly fictional, yeah. but it's like a like a heavily stylized maybe combo of New York, Chicago, uh, Miss well, not Mississippi, <laughs> Chicago where, and Mississippi. Where does right? everyone always head on on trains? Sh- not Chattanooga. Um. Oh God, oh, it's, it's coming to me. I don't know. Ah, uh, we'll think it Chattanooga. out. Chattanooga. Um, but Raleigh. I don't know. Uh, it combines all of these. Montezuma. <laughs> and they uh, organized crimes on the rise. Uh, yeah. The biggest, you know, uh, plague on the city is Big Boy Caprice, yep. played very well by Al Pacino. Amazingly, he's having fun. He is. He's like <laughs> hunchbacked over, and I was like, oh, this is many years ago. And this is how the Al Pacino that I know now. He's under like, you know, some prosthetics for like, to make his chin, to give him like a Waluigi face. And I will say, the mobster's prosthetics in this oh, are yeah. very good. Like, we have the multiple like, 
brow line, we have the multiple chin going on, we have, like, a flabby face, and I was like, this is iconic. No, and that's, I think even amongst, like, film people, that's one of the things that has stuck around yeah. about this movie. Very Is cool. that those background characters, like Pruneface, the mm-hmm. one that you just mentioned, because um, he has a, you know, iconic wrinkly face, usually a wears a purple a face, hat. Yeah. Uh, I think he still gets, like, merchandise and action figures and stuff because he's a well-liked movie character. Mm. Um... So, uh, we, we kind of open on what is a very, very obvious Danny Elfman theme. It yep. sounds really similar to the Batman theme. It does. Um, it, it feels very Batman, too. Yeah. Which I love. And it, it fits. It fits, yeah. you know, yeah, the, what, what they're trying to convey. Another reason why Dan suggested this to me, I feel. And, you know, we open on, uh, in one of the tougher streets, a street tough is <laughs> eating a sandwich out of the trash. Yep. Uh, and this is the kid that we are first introduced to. Mm-hmm. Uh, while snooping around, the kid stumbles across a mob poker game, which I believe is under, uh, you know, this is the gang that's controlled by Littleface. Okay. Uh, he, who, as his name suggests, has a little face. Um, excellent prosthetic work. The, uh, you know, the kid's almost caught, but they, you know, they end up seeing a cat instead, and one of the, you know, in a very character-defining moment, one of these mobsters picks up the cat and, like, th- chucks it across the room. Yeah. Um, so these are bad dudes. Uh, but the mob poker game is then broken up by another group of mobsters who just lay into them with Tommy guns and kill everyone in the room. Yeah, toss his girlfriend sooner or later. Um, Get so- big boy. It's kind of one of those things where, okay, clearly there's some kind of, uh, you know, mob war going on, but uh, in response to this crime, Dick Tracy is summoned from his diner lunch. Uh, I I believe he's... Yeah, when we first see him, uh, Warren Beatty is suiting up. Mm -hmm. He's getting his yellow hat, his yellow jacket. He looks a lot younger than what I would pursue... Warren yeah. Beatty as now. and he was yeah. he was already an older fella by the time this movie was made, he but he good. plays yeah. it well. He yeah. plays the hard-boiled detective that he's supposed to be very well. Um, but on this specific occasion, he is at the opera with Tess Trueheart. Yep. His, you know, his. They're uh, seeing um, what I believe is Wagner's The Ring Cycle, which is a sixteen-hour opera. Yes. So. But, uh, so in the middle of one of the, the acts of that, uh, Dick Tracy receives a message on his uh, stupid little <laughs> communicator watch, uh, summoning him to this warehouse where the game was just shot up. Yeah. Uh, and someone, using bullets, has etched Eat Lead Tracy into mm-hmm. the wall. So clearly this is a message meant for him, because he is at war with these mobsters. Do we pass this iconic sucking clam scene? That's that's now. Because I was like, that's very iconic. Oh, that's like, no, that's you coming. Know, a very Italian mobster sucking clams. Well, we got to introduce th- that now. It's yeah. like face, baby face, or whatever his name. That is, is yeah. lips. Lips. Uh, yeah. I lips lips. Uh, manless is is that mobster's name. He is another mobster in the city. He owns Club Ritz, the main you know gin joint in town, yeah. and he is sucking down clams. He is just. As an Italian, I would also suck down many a clam. Clam after clam. And <laughs> clam after clam. And his main squeeze is Breathless Mahoney. Played by Madonna. Played by Madonna I- to perfection. Iconically, <laughs> here. Now I get what Michelle Visage was saying on Drag Race. Like, this is her role. Like, this is her breakout role. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, so before, uh, you know, uh, Lips can enjoy his night or whatever, <laughs> he is kind of accosted by some of Big Boy's men yeah. who drag him off to parts unknown mm-hmm. for the time being. Yeah. Uh, while, uh, you know... Uh, Dick and his Tess. girlfriend, yeah, yeah, Tess, Tess are having yeah. their get- iconic. I love Tess. Yeah, no, Tess is she's there as like the his girl Friday, which yeah. they mention, like his girl Saturday or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like a parody. I like her. I don't know the actress there, but it's well, kind of iconic. we looked her up, and she has been in some recognize. I, yeah. I think the only. The most new thing that I think any listener would recognize her from was if you had ever seen the movie uh, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. Which She's have, the yes. mom in that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so while they're heading into the diner, the kid who we saw earlier is you know running out, having just stolen someone's expensive watch, mm-hmm. uh, and Dick Tracy chases after him. Uh, ever being the crime stopper. Yeah, the homeless orphan he doesn't like. He's he's trying... Well, he's, like, following it like, kid, it's not, re- like, worth it stealing, getting yeah. in trouble to do this. And he chases Lip... Uh, no, not Lip. Kid through the train yard where Kid pulls a very daring move and jumps, like, right across the path of a oncoming train, mm-hmm. which impresses even Dick Tracy as kind of, you know, a life-or-death stunt. Oh, shit, kid. So Kid flees into, you know, the shanty town where he lives, yeah. and his uh, very grotesque father, who is under prosthetic makeup, mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, he's presumably stealing for his father, or father... Fi- we don't even know if this is his dad. No. This is just some guy that is No, this is, is a Dan Ryan, shelter. like, you live by the train tracks. Type. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... Dick Tracy, you know, uh, finds them there. We get this this cool little scene where he, like, beats the guy up. and Go suck on an egg. Go suck an egg. Yeah. And, again, to, to, the, to the credit of the set design in this movie, it was Amazing. all matte paintings. Incredible. Like, we, I was like, oh, this is what Dan Ryan likes. He likes, yes. a, good, he go, likes a good matte painting. He I like a... Good, a I love me a good, oh. big, stupid matte painting city. You know, a lot of Sinister Six have come into my head based on this film, so... Well, good. Yeah. I, I would hope it would inspire. It's gonna inspire you. I but think. but it's really cool how this is set up because it's, it's a matte painting in the background, and then the shanty is this little set prop that is wobbling back and forth mm-hmm. like it would in a comic book uh, as Dick Tracy is fighting this, uh, you know, tough guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and eventually... He, he, Dick Tracy wins the fight, arrests that guy, and brings the kid along with him back to the diner. Yes. Uh, obviously, at some point, they're going to have to turn him over to the city and send him to an orphanage. I put down very Guys and Dolls coded. Mm-hmm. It's like very, that same musical going Cer- on here. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, we cut back to another warehouse on the docks where Big Boy Caprice is basically he basically manhandles Lip Manless into signing over the rights to Club Ritz, yes, yes. Uh, and we get in Al Pacino's many monologues. We get the sense that he is trying to expand his business repertoire. Mm-hmm. He's acquiring other properties and you know going in as many different directions as he can, uh, and he ends up killing Lip Lips Manless uh, with a concrete bath. He quite literally. <laughs> Puts him in a box, fills the box with cement, and yeah. throws the box into the river. Yeah. Not the East River, we don't know what river it is, but I wish it's I could some take river. a concrete bath. And from that point on, since uh, Big Boy is now in charge of Club Ritz, he basically takes possession of Breathless as his arm Claims candy. Claims it all. Yeah. Um, Woman and all. 
as they put down in my notes. And this is, I think, also the first time we see uh, off to the side Dustin Hoffman as Mumbles. I didn't know that was Dustin Hoffman, but yeah. now I do now. He yeah. he's like the the flaky member of the mob. He wow. seems to be a regular informant, but yeah. he speaks purely in mumbles. Yeah, to be brought up later on in the film. And I really I I really like, like that. No, it's great. There's all of these huge actors in this movie who are just purely in it to play bit parts like this. Like they're they're playing fun little characters who maybe don't get that much screen time, but they're just it's cool to see. Yeah. Um so uh, we kind of see that, that Big Boy gets right to work on his new club. He is yelling at Madonna and friends through a song number uh, because, uh, you know, Big Boy, I guess, has a taste in musicals and he is very, very specific about how he wants the choreography yes. done. Uh, so he's making everyone stressed. They've been there for hours. Uh, and this is also when, off to the side, we are introduced to 88 Keys, who is the best piano player in town and who is playing the piano at this bar. Uh, he will become a bigger deal later. Um, eventually, uh, you know, Dick Tracy has a hunch. He investigates walnuts. Yeah, he, he finds, like, when they go to the warehouse where uh, Lips was, you know, given the bath, they find a bunch of walnut shells, which Dick Tracy knows to be a clue for Big Boy Caprice. Um... And we also get, like, the the cute little lunch scene where, you know, Dick li- leaves Tess and the kid together. Mm-hmm. And Tess is, is you know, smart in her own right and catches the kid, like, stealing the, the you know, the cash tip off the table. And yes. he's like, do you want a broken arm? And he's like, I don't like dames. And then yeah. throws the money back on. There's nothing but a dame, yeah. But, uh, you know, following on this lead, Dick Tracy uh, brings in Flattop and Itchy, two of the recurring, uh, you know, two of Big Boy's main henchmen uh, for interrogation. But they don't give him anything. Uh, he's He kind of strong arms them, but they, they are Big Boy's most, like, the resilient things. The girls are tired at things. this point, yeah. So with them not offering up any information... He, Dick Tracy then brings in Mumbles for interrogation, mm-hmm. and we get this, I mean, I would think it's iconic scene where they're in the interrogation room, uh, Kathy Bates is the stenographer. I didn't know that was her! It is, yeah. Like, you really got me there. I was like, oh, another icon of cinema here. You know, they got, uh, they got Mumbles under the hot lights, and there is a polar bear ice cooler. Yeah, and we get the Walnuts Dark Ma- Madonna act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah arc. <laughs> but uh, Mumbles, you know, well, we gotta remember this polar bear cooler because, you know, Mumbles says a whole bunch of stuff when he's dying of thirst mm-hmm. uh, before Dick Tracy's finally like, you know, get him out of here. He's not yeah. giving us anything. Yeah. And that will become important later. So then, uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. I have Meeting. down Breathless with Dick. I, I went... Um, oh my god. His Girl Friday, Tess. That's all I have down right now. Okay, so this is, <laughs> I believe, uh, the, at this point, Dick Tracy goes to Club Ritz, and he tries to arrest Big Boy. And okay. we get the sense that this is a recurring thing. Big Boy has been arrested, like, four times already by this point. Yeah. And no crimes, you know, no charges ever stick against him. Uh, you know, and when he's brought in... 
yeah, we don't really see much happen. We just think that he's, you know, going to get out almost instantly, and he mm-hmm. does. Uh, but notably, this is how uh, Dick Tracy meets Breathless Mahoney for the first time. Uh, Breathless Mahoney is in her back changing room. Uh, she's, like, changing behind, like, a trifold panel as, Scrim, yeah. as uh, you know, uh, dames want, want to do. Want to do, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she starts, like, flirting with him. You know, like, uh, if you want to sweat me out, I do that much better under the sheets. Like, a, a quintessential Jonathan line. Yeah. Um, and Dick Tracy is quite flustered by this, but does not do anything no. uh, untoward. Very, he's very composed. Yeah. The Dick Tracy character. Uh, then we are introduced to the district attorney, Dick Van Dyke, uh, who is refusing to press any charges against, uh, you know, Big Boy. I think because he says, like, it was, he's gonna, oh, his lawyers are gonna say that you intimidated mm-hmm. him or something like that. So, once again, Big Boy is out on the street. Yes. Uh, and then we get this little montage where after Kid is given some snappy new clothes and a little, like, red outfit, because everything is yeah. is red, green, yellow, blue, Yeah, primary colors. Uh, there's a little montage where the kid's like, when do we eat? And he just is scoffing down meal after meal as they go throughout the city. And we get the vibe that these three being, you know, Dick, the kid, and Tess are, like, forming a little found family here. Because mm-hmm. they're very... They're having a pleasant time together. Yeah, and we have to mention that, like, uh, Dick is dressed as mustard. Yes. And Tess is dressed as ketchup. Yes. So. Yeah, well, Tess <laughs> Tess sometimes has the mustard jacket on, but then other times she, she wears green. No, she wears red. She wears green and red, because she's a florist also. Uh-huh. Uh, so, but for the most of the movie, I she mean, is I mean, I love red. all three of those garnishes, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll suck them down. Relish, ketchup, and mustard. Yeah. Yes. Um... So, uh, when they get back from their, like, day out, we get another awkward thing where Dick is seemingly trying to ask Tess to move in with him, mm-hmm. but Tess ain't having it because she knows Dick is married to the job, and he's never gonna settle down. Yes. Because a recurring thing is that, like, Dick Tracy is rumored to have, you know, constantly turned down the position of chief of police mm-hmm. because he would be too bored sitting at a desk the whole day. Mm-hmm. Um, while they are, you know, out on the curb, thanks to their, you know, kid warns them, and they are almost hit by a drive-by shooting, uh, which kind of messes up the front of Tess's house, uh, but kind of reconfirms to the three that, you know, or at least to Dick and Tess that Dick can't have a quiet life just yet. Um, then when, uh, you know, Dick goes back to his, his office to try to look over some more of the files and stuff, Breathless stops by... To deliver another uh, very you scene, uh, she pours a glass of champagne, mm-hmm. gets on top of the desk, uh, and is seemingly toying with the idea of being state's witness. Yeah, she's Chief Floozy. She's yeah. like, here you go. I'll but, pour you this. Mm. Yeah, she clearly wants something in exchange for even entertaining the thought of going on the witness stand. Like, she, you know, Dick keeps promising her protection, but that's seemingly not enough. Then we get a very big mob meeting uh, put together by Big Boy. Mm -hmm. Uh, James Caan. James Caan is there. Yeah. uh, As uh, Spaldoni, another mob (laughs) boss. But I love this scene. Man with no face? No, not yet. 
Not, no face is not there yet. Oh, okay. Um, but prune faces, I think the guy with red eyes is there in the back. Like, tons mm. of colorful characters are in this room. But I love it because I think Al Pacino's entire demeanor during the scene is pretty great. Yeah. He's like, the reason the coppers can take us down is because we're separate. We gotta come together like a corporation. <laughs> and me, I'm gonna be the CEO of all this. <laughs> and like, I'll just sing. And, you know, James Conn Spaldini is one of the mobsters who's skeptical about this. He's like, I don't know why it has to be you in charge. Uh, this seems like a stupid idea. But, you know, uh, uh, Big Boy insists that this is the only way to move forward, the only way for them to be safe from the cops. And basically their business model, like real-life mobsters, would be to extort small businesses in, like, a protection racket. Mm -hmm. And Al Pacino's like... If they sell 10 cents a hamburger, we get a penny. Like, yes. like all shit like that. Yeah, 10 uh, but cents a burger. Spaldoni leaves, which Big Boy is seemingly okay with. Um, and while this is happening outside, Dick is... Well, doesn't he call, like, Breathless a cheap floozy at this point? Um, Like, you've done enough for me. You're just marketable material. I th Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Maybe. Um... Mm. And, and Dick is snooping around on the, like, you know, outside on the scaffolding. Yeah, but the mob meeting design, yeah. Yeah, and his, going on here? his two best buds down below were like, Dick, get off of there. If they catch you snooping on their property, they can shoot you without even asking any questions. And it's, you know, so he's he's trying to spy on the meeting. We get um, the Spoldoni exploded. We get the man with no face. Yeah, Spoldoni gets into his car and is yeah. killed by a car bomb. Yeah, uh, which was seemingly part of. I mean, Big that's Boy's an plan. excellent dessert. Spoldoni exploded. Yeah, <laughs> from the Italians in this room, like yeah. Dino Spumoni of Hey Arnold yeah, fame. Yeah. Uh, but this is the first time where, watching from a distance, we do see uh, this faceless man, this no face, who is mm -hmm. observing all oh, of this no going face. on. Remember him. Uh, but for the record, because it's never stated in this movie, I don't think, that character's name in the Dick Tracy comic strip is The Blank. Oh. You know, very creepy, faceless figure. Yeah. So, uh, then, they kind of, uh, pretending to be social services, itchy and flat-top, strong-arm Dick Tracy out of mm. his apartment, and bring him to the basement of Tess's apartment building. Just mm -hmm. to probably flex that they know where she lives and can, you know, so they can threaten her. Yeah. Uh, their big boy arrives and he attempts to bribe Dick Tracy. He's like, you and me, we could run this town. I'll cut you in with this amount. And, you know, that's that's the main thing. Like, but he seems like a very family man at the same point. Like, you know, he's want to have kids... Dick Tracy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, definitely. He wants to do all that jazz and all that. He's he's conflicted, and he's very, uh, he's he's definitely, in a cute way, awkward around Tess. He yeah. has trouble getting his feelings out in front yeah. of Tess. Um, but when Dick Tracy refuses the bribe, uh, you know, Big Boy ties him up, and then they mm. rig the boiler in the basement to, to explode. explode. Very Shining-esque of them, yeah. But luckily, uh, because Kid was around the corner snooping, he is able to rescue Dick Tracy, uh, and they escape. And for uh, the kid's bravery back at the police station, uh, the Irish chief of police, I think I think is, I, I want to say it's, it's like Chief O'Shaughnessy or something, mm -hmm. gives him an honorary detective certificate. Well, doesn't Brothers Mahomely be like, oh, eat my pecan, it's uh, topical right now or whatever, right? I think that is when she is She's at like, his She's like, eat office. my ice cream. Yeah. Yeah, that's when she's at the office. That's one of the flirt lines mm -hmm. she does back at that point. Okay, Dan, you were no better than I. 
Um, so, you know, uh, a kid... Well, oh, no, 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 you're right. There is another Breathless visit coming up, but not... Yeah, first kid becomes an honorary detective. His name on the, the slip is just the kid, and he's told that, you know, once you figure out a real name, mm-hmm. you can come back and we'll give you a permanent version of that slip. Mm. Um, so it's just another cute thing with this kid that, the you know, the cops are kind of coming together and doing. Yeah. Um, Breathless loves to kick the dick. Kiss the dick. Well, first, uh, we cut to a very Batman Returns-esque graveyard yes. where we see that Big Boy has ensnared the DA Dick Van Dyke. Mm-hmm. Uh, the DA works for him. And basically there, you know, it's just a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours arrangement where the DA will look the other way, you know, if they can figure out a way to kill Dick Tracy Mm -hmm. subtly, basically. Then we get the second breathless, like, I think, meeting where she says, you know, you want to eat my peach? (laughs) Whatever the fuck she says. You want a taste of my peach, honey? Um... And, oh yeah, because this is at Dick Tracy's apartment, she comes in... She gives that line. She, she kisses Dick. She kisses him. Yeah. Just as Tess and the kid are returning from getting ice cream, and he's been caught fanoodling, seemingly. Wow. You know, that's very uh, uh, Jean Cocteau, Jean whatever. And Tess... Jacques Demi. Tess goes into the other room and, and cries. Yeah. Um, so, uh, at this point, 88 Keys is summoned to an empty warehouse by the blank, Mm -hmm. uh, who up, you know, on this scaffolding in shadow, like, basically outlines a deal for him. You're going to make a ton of money, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to go, you're going to bring this letter to Big Boy, you're going to tell him that you received it anonymously, and, you know, that's how we're going to enact this plan, and if we pull it off, then I'll be in control of things. Yes. And we, we should note that this entire time, the blank is speaking with a voice like bot, like when Leia goes undercover as yeah. boss yeah. in the Return of the Jedi. She's like, you do what I need to do. Like yeah. that kind of voice. Yeah. The Jonathan so, Kwiatkowski and Dan Ryan voice. We don't know who this guy is, but the blank is obviously very mysterious. Uh, so it's then blank, man. 88 Keys takes this offer back to Big Boy and, you know, Big Boy kind of doesn't like being, uh, you know, threatened about things, so I don't think he takes the offer up when it's originally brought to mm-hmm. him. So then, we get, like, this little thing where, uh, you know, the cops try to raid uh, Club Ritz mm-hmm. just as a distraction in order to bug it. Uh, you know, Big Boy has the whole place rigged where, you know, the card tables fold away, the, the, the you know, the bar, you know, goes back into the wall, etc. Mm-hmm. It becomes, like, a classy establishment when the cops come around knocking. Um, but with all of this chaos going on, they are able to install a bug in Club Ritz. Quite literally, it is Bug Bailey, one of, uh, you know, Dick's fellow cops, who is in the roof of the club listening to everything that's going on. Yes. And then this is when we get the crime-busting montage, uh, because Bug Bailey is listening in on all of, uh, Big Boy's phone calls. We get a letter from Tess? E... That that happens at the same time as oh, this. Okay. Um, so th- there is like this uh, this you know whole montage where every time Big Boy tries mm-hmm. to commit some kind of mm-hmm. crime, 
Dick Tracy and the cops are like one step ahead of him. They're heading him off everywhere. They're they're arresting his boys. They, we get Dick Tracy beating up a lot of you know goons and such, mm-hmm. and uh, lots of newspaper headlines talking about how Dick Tracy is saving the town. Yes. Um, while this is going on, we do see Tess sorrowfully packing her bags, getting ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually. When Big Boy has kind of reached the peak of his frustration, and he's almost run out of cash, uh, Bug Bailey spills some coffee mm. uh, from the, you know, the roof above them. It leaks down and tips off Big Boy and Pruneface that someone is listening in on their conversations. So they set up this, uh, this fake situation where they lure Dick Tracy to the docks. They have yes. Bug Bailey there about to get the cement bath treatment. Um, and Dick Tracy is almost ensnared by this trap, but the blank shows up and manage and, and saves him for some reason. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's going on with this, um, but Big Boy, as far as he knows, just takes it as a sign. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't accept the money yet, so the well, he's yeah. in jail. Yeah, the like the yeah. the blank is going to um, you know, interfere with this unless we make a deal. Yeah. So uh. When Dick Tracy returns to the diner, he sees that Tess has left uh, because she's she's gone to stay with her mother for the time being uh, because yeah, she's she's just tired of uh, of Dick Tracy's mm. lifestyle, I guess. Um, then uh, Dick goes to meet Breathless at the docks, which is a very cool looking scene. Yes, yes. Um, and you know, Breathless is like. Tell me you want me. Like, like mm-hmm. you know, like, that's all I, I need you to say. That's all I need to hear. Um, like, that's that's her condition for uh, being a witness for him. Yes. Is that he needs to tell her that he wants her, mm-hmm. that he loves her. To solidify the relationship. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Dick Tracy is very loyal to Tess, and he does not want to. Because he's like, I can't do that because I'll break this other gal's heart, and I love her. Uh, and that's, I think, like, the first time Dick Tracy is able to admit that in the movie. Yeah, in my notes. Um, but back at Tess's house, uh, where she's with her mom in another state, I'm assuming, uh, which is also all ketchup red, uh, Tess's mom is dishing, and mm-hmm. she's like, uh, well, she's making some blueberry muffins, she's like, oh... It's difficult to love a man. It's delicious blueberry muffins, mind you. Yeah. Yeah, I would um, eat them. Sop them right up. But, you know, it's difficult to love a man who, you know, lives that kind of life. He would find being president a boring desk job. You, mm. You're better off. And yeah. But at this point, Tess realizes, yeah, she loves Dick Tracy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bad guys at this point set up a situation... Uh, in which uh, the blank goes snooping through Dick Tracy's house, mm-hmm. takes some checks that he's signed, and basically create this this forged blackmail letter that Dick Tracy would be sending to the DA. Then they shoot the DA in a hotel room with the faceless posing as Dick Tracy. Uh, Dick Tracy is then you know uh, receives a letter, yeah, apparently from Tess. Mm. To go meet her at her greenhouse. Yes. Uh, but when Dick Tracy arrives, he is poisoned by pesticides that I are being leaked into it. the room. I love yeah. this intrigue that was going on here. The the blank is like narrating it, like breathe in, smell the flowers, mm-hmm. like like that. 
Uh, Dick Tracy awakens with a gun placed in his hand, and the DA is dead next to him in this hotel room with the letter of blackmail in his pocket. Mm. Uh, And the hotel staff and all of the cops see that he is the one there, and the great Dick Tracy is sent to jail. Yes. Um, Then we get... A, uh, you know, uh, another montage, this time set to the song Back in Business, where the mob is back on on the rise. They are, they're knocking over grandma and grandpa stores, they're, they're, you know, destroying fruit vendors, they're doing all kinds of things Mm -hmm. uh, to extort money from the people uh, and amass this fortune. Um, So, while this is going on, uh, you know, the kid goes to takes a break from the orphanage mm-hmm. and you know because the the chief of police feels sympathetic for him so he goes and gets him brings him to dick tracy who's in jail and we see that the kid on his official detective certificate has changed his name to dick tracy jr because he sees himself oh. as dick's son at this yeah. point and yeah and to warren Beatty's acting it he is visibly touched by this scene he yes. is like it's a it's a well-played scene um but while this is going on, Tess is still being held captive, and they never received any kind of ransom notice for her, mm. which is not the norm no. for these mobster-type criminals. No. Um, but, luckily, Dick's, like, buddies are looking out for him. They're like, oh, we're gonna drive you to the, the state jail, but uh, it's gonna take, like, eight hours to get yep. there. So yep. we're, we're gonna help you try to solve we'll this time. case. Uh, you know, and rescue Tess. So they go back to Mumbles with the big polar bear cooler in hand, and it is revealed that the cooler is actually a listening device. Mm -hmm. And Mumbles is confident that due to the fact that he mumbles, no one would be able to get any kind of testimony from him. No. But Dick Tracy slows down the recording, which is audibly Mumbles saying that Big Boy is responsible for everything. Mm -hmm. So at the risk of, you know... Being killed by Big Boy himself, Mumbles reveals that 99 Keys, the piano player, is the one who set him up. So they should probably go and check out Club Ritz. Um, they they head there while a lot of intrigue is going on simultaneously. The Blank calls the Irish chief and tells him that uh, Tess Trueheart is being held hostage by Big Boy above the club. Just as Dick Tracy and his his one partner are arriving on the rooftop, and Dick Tracy does a Batman drop, Danny Elfman's score and all, Mm. down into the room. But, you know, Big Boy, realizing that he's being framed for the one crime that he did not commit, Mm -hmm. uh, takes Tess hostage for real and runs off. Yes. Um, And then we get, like, a little scene where... Dick Tracy manages to escape from this sealed room by using like a like a seesaw thing with his yeah. partner jumping down onto a floorboard yep. and then mm-hmm. propelling Dick Tracy back up through the skylight. So mm-hmm. Dick Tracy escapes them and gives chase. Uh, downstairs, the cops are swarming Club Ritz uh, and Al Pacino escapes through the crowd uh, and escapes into his wine cellar. Behind which he has, like, a stupid little pull sled thing where, uh, you know, he loads Tess onto it and uh, they, they you know, it's meant for making hidden escapes that way. And I will say that whether you find it charming or not is, is up to anyone. Yeah, Al, Al Pacino does not stop talking for the remainder of the movie at this no. point. He, no. he kind of... Uh, 
is like, oh, I'm not a bad guy. You're making me do bad things. It'll Don't let me kill. It'll tie into our next good movies. So. I, I expect it to. Yeah. But he, Big Boy does not stop monologuing from this point to the end of the movie. Mm. Um, so uh, there was, oh, there's also this whole thing originally where before they tried the nightclub escape, uh, Big Boy had all of his goons load up into cars and seemingly try to, like, drive out into the cops' blockade ahead of him. Mm -hmm. But Dick Tracy and the other cops, Tommy Gunn, you know, all of the, you know, the pawns that were sent out first, and that is how all of the other mobsters within, uh, you know, uh, Big Boy's circle, including Pruneface and Flattop and Itchy, are all killed in one motion. Mm. And I would assume, I have a gut feeling that if the film went over budget at any point. It was probably, like, around this time, because lots of explosions, lots of pyrotechnics. Mm -hmm. There's a shot where it just, Dick Tracy just is just firing a gun like he always has, but a giant explosion goes off behind Warren Beatty, and I'm like, okay, they had to build these intricate sets. Yes. Now they're blowing them up. Maybe that's where the big bucks come in. Mm. Uh, but again, uh, you know... Uh, the Al Pacino sled escape happens, and it leads out to this, like, wooded area near uh, a drawbridge. Mm -hmm. uh, that will, you know, when the bridge is down, it leads into another city where Big Boy hopes to take Tess and kind of get lost in the frenzy of the New Year's Eve celebration that's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, Breathless kind of tells Dick Tracy where to go, uh, because at this point, we understand that she's not loyal to Big Boy and doesn't fear him anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, Tracy gives chase. It's a very long final chase. Uh, you know, he Dick Tracy follows them to the bridge. Uh, originally, Big Boy tries to drag Tess and then jump over the gap of the opening drawbridge, but he's like, nah, I ain't doing that. Brings her back down, and they go into, like, the gear house where the drawbridge is controlled, and this is the, the setting for the final scene. Mm -hmm. uh, while monologuing, and parts of it are funny, he's like, oh, you know, things are what they are, I think Fred Nietzsche said that, like, yeah. he, he's just dropping all these pseudo-intellectual quotes and shit. He ties Tess to a gear. Yeah, and being like, you're gonna wait here for that gear, baby, to end you. And he's clearly I'm losing sorry. it. Yeah. He, no, but he's he's like losing it. He's like, by the way, I've loved you this whole time. <laughs> and he doesn't even, he doesn't know who she is. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Tess is tied to the gear, which is slowly advancing towards the other gear that will crush her. Uh, Dick Tracy, you know, emerges from the shadows. Uh, you know, he manages to sneak up behind Big Boy and, you know, fight him off. Um... But then Big Boy comes back and hits him with a fucking wooden beam uh, to kind of ramp up the tension. But uh, at this point, we have a little three-way standoff because yeah. uh, there's a gun in between Dick Tracy and Big Boy at the end of their fight, and the blank emerges and says to Dick Tracy, pick up that gun and kill Big Boy once and for all, then you and I will come out of this as heroes and we will rule this city together. Mm. Um, but the kid who had followed along behind, he was, I think he was latched onto the chief's car the whole time, mm. uh, jumps out and tackles, uh, d you know, the blank. And, uh, in the resulting scuffle, uh, Big Boy 
is is pushed over the ledge of the gear thing and falls Joker style down into this pit, mm-hmm. and that is the end of Al Pacino's big yeah. boy. Yeah. Um, but also, I I believe via um, Big Boy's gun originally, the blank is shot. Mm. So the blank is taken down. Big Boy is dead, and Dick Tracy manages to save Tess, who kind of takes the kid, goes to wait outside. And then we get the reveal. <laughs> Dick Tracy unmasks the blank because it's a fake face yeah. or a fake lack of face. And who is it? It's another than Madonna. It's, it's Madonna. The whole time. I, I never knew it was coming. It was Breathless Mahoney as played by yeah. Madonna under a latex mask with she a voice said, changer. Did you hear me, Dan Ryan? <laughs> And the, her whole plan was to turn everyone against each other so that she would come out on top of things mm. and rule the city from the underworld. But obviously, she didn't bet on all of this going the way it did. No. Uh, but we do finally get a, a happy diner ending where yes. it tests uh, Dick Tracy Jr. now and Dick Tracy are, are hanging out having a meal. And Dick Tracy is desperately trying to get out a marriage proposal Two tests. They kind of reiterate a conversation from earlier where he's like, oh, you, you, so you'll live alone? Like, yeah, I like living alone, just like you do. And he's like, well, maybe we could live alone together or something. And it goes on for a bit. But eventually Dick Tracy is called away on another case, but he tosses Tess back a ring box with a, a diamond ring inside, mm-hmm. showing that they are going to take their relationship to the next level, presumably with Dick Tracy Jr., alongside them yes and dick tracy heads out into the city to keep busting crime that's all then and it concludes you did it i did it yeah yeah you were the bugsy mahoney <laughs> of this podcast dan ryan well thank you i'm i'm glad that you enjoyed it i again i did enjoy it a lot actually i yeah. considered this one of my higher end sinister six picks i had it in there for a while wow. so i wanted to make sure that you know Really, Jonathan Kwiatkowski coded. Yeah. Yeah. But it was fate that it ended up being for the 30th. And I'm, I know, I'm just glad you liked it. I'm glad you responded so positively to it, to what I, is supposed to be an instrument of torture. I did. I yeah. enjoyed it. Um, of course, I'm Jonathan Kwiatkowski. Brought to you, as always, by the uh, Anime Was Not a Mistake podcast. Mm-hmm. And here, as always, is Dan Ryan, mm-hmm. um, here to join us, where he's, I don't know, but you can on the internet. You yeah. can follow me at King underscore Dennis on Instagram, yeah. threads, and Twitter, If well, threads and Twitter slash X, if you wish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you can follow me, Jonathan Kwiatkowski, at least my mind, JK, um, uh, drink and read JK, mm-hmm. um, and on X, I don't know. Mind your own business. Yeah. Basically. So, so, what do you got in store for us next week? What do I have for you in store next week, Dan Ryan? Mm-hmm. You've given me so much. Okay. And now we've got to go back to our anime roots, don't we? We do. Definitely. You know what, Dan Ryan? We're going back to the bathhouse next week. Oh. That's all I have to say. Oh, this 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 could be exciting. Yeah. This could be the start of something big. Hmm. I don't know. Start of something new. It feels so right to be here with you. Just want more, more, more. Yeah. Just join a bathhouse. <laughs> I, I don't know what to end this episode, Dan. What 
I don't know. I, I Bugsy Mahoney and you felt so Patrick good Mahomes, in twenty two. All right, I'm leaving. All right, here we go. Bye bye. What? You survived? Anime was not a mistake spin-off series? The Sinister Six? Well, there's always next time. <laughs> As you wait with bated breath, remember to rate, review, subscribe, where most podcasts are easily found, including Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and more. Remember boils and ghouls, if you enjoyed the hosting by me, Jonathan Kwiatkowski, stand-in cryptkeeper, and the Igor of my eye, Daniel Ryan, support us on social media. And last, but certainly not least, remember to reach out to us on Anime Was Not A Mistake Pod on Instagram, or follow Anime Was Not A Mistake Podcast on Facebook. This way, we can continue to make our anime-based dreams come true, and your nightmares a reality. <laughs> Until we meet again, remember to constantly ask yourself, is anime a mistake? We know for certain that any film with the Sinister Six misnomer is destined for depravity.